For all of you who listen to Mackie Second Floor Studios Presents Submersion and own an Android device, do me a favor. Go to the Google Play Store and download the Podcast Republic app. It's a fantastic app that allows you to get all of your favorite podcasts directly on your Android device. I use the app, and I love it. I can search for the podcasts I want to listen to, select them as favorites, and have them all just a click away. Make sure to set Mackie's Second Floor Studios as a favorite so you don't miss any of our new episodes. Again, the app is the Podcast Republic app, available on Android devices. Episode 45. Woo! And this is a big one. So we've got everybody on board. Yeah, last week was a skeleton crew. Now, what's the opposite of skeleton crew? Uh, A fleshy crew. Flesh. A fleshy crew. We got a fleshy crew. Flesh uh-huh. light crew up in here. Great. Or is it flesh heavy? What's that? Nothing. Okay. Um, flesh heavy. Man. Yeah, dude. <sighs> and yeah, so it's a very, very important episode. We even got, what do we got to attach to this episode? We uh, have an excellent interview with Ian Sanders of Cold War Conversations. It is a podcast completely dedicated. <sighs> Dedicated to the Cold War and people who lived through it and their stories. It's incredible. The interview is great. He gives us a lot of good information on the Cold War. Stick around for it. It is definitely worth listening to. Yeah, all the listeners are like, wait, but you're a submarine podcast. You're not a Cold War podcast. So why do we have a Cold War person on it? Uh, Because we're wrapping up Cold War Movie Month. Woo! Second woo. With, uh, never mind. Oh. With the biggest, baddest Cold War movie of them all. Damn it. Interestingly, not made, <laughs> just made, made literally at the very end of the Cold War. Right. Yeah. It was filmed, and, and I got some trivia about Sean Connery basically being like, I don't want to be in this movie. The Cold War doesn't even mean anything anymore. Yeah. And then they were like, well, but it's historical. It's set in 1983. It was like, oh, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, pretty much. Yeah. So, uh,. Anybody got anything they want to say for this movie right now? Like before we hear the recap? Yeah, man, before. You got anything you want to say? I have one thing I want to say is that we got an Ohio representing actor in this film. And if he doesn't get his spotlight, I'm going to be pissed off. It's obviously Sam Neill. I'm joking. He's Australian. Oh, is he really? He is. Never knew that. Mm -hmm. It's like Mel Gibson. Well, everybody knows that. Mad Max. I got, I got a question for everybody. I got a question What's for that? everybody. Uh, as 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 we're going to find out, we have a Jack Ryan character on here tonight. Who's everybody's favorite Jack Ryan? There have been five, I Harrison think. Harrison Ford. I mean, I think it's obvious. Chris Pine. Duh. Harrison Ford. I was joking. It's not Chris Pine. I, I have it's a hate. It's obviously video. John Krasinski. Right. The new. I like all of <laughs> the them. Newest. This might be the only Jack have Ryan you, I know. Have you seen really? the, the John Krasinski one, Alex? The series? Yeah, it's on Amazon. Yeah. Of course I've good? seen it. Yes. Not a sponsor, just to be clear. Yet. Yet. You know, he kind of does a little bit of gym stuff from The Office, but I think he just can't help himself. I think this is who he is in real life. Hmm. I, I haven't I haven't heard anything good or bad about it, so that's my first I also, b- before we even get, I do want to say that I read this book. A year ago in preparation for the podcast, because I thought, I assumed we we're doing a submarine podcast. How many episodes could we possibly do before we actually get to hunt for Red October? The answer is apparently 44 episodes before we actually watch the probably one of the most famous or what? Top three most famous submarine films oh, like ever made. Yeah. Um, and so I barely remember it. Uh, but luckily this somewhat refreshed my memory. It's pretty close adaption. So. Don't worry, Jamie. I've been looking forward to this movie as well. 
thinking we'd do it within the first 10 episodes. Yeah. Joke's on us, but <laughs> I got ready for this episode by playing the NES game, The Hunt for Red October. Oh, good. More, that's a good that's a good plan. More on that later. Nice. I can't wait to hear about that. Dive, 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 dive. It's like the best one we've done in a while. <laughs> it is. It's good. What began as an innocent conversation among friends would soon spiral out of control and later be referred to by future generations as the eighth wonder of the modern world. Mac East Second Floor Studios takes you on the journey of your lifetime as your captains, Alex the Mustard Man, the artist formerly known as Brom, Jamie the Brain, Kyle El Capitan, and Zach the Backbone present Submersion. I think it's pretty clear what we've watched, but Alex, just for the sake of tradition, what did we watch? Uh, we watched a book made to film. <laughs> uh, the Hopper Out October. It's a, a 1990 <laughs> film. <laughs> One of the best. You were sure where you were going with that, huh? <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> Tom Clancy, right? Rest in peace. Tom Clancy. Uh, yeah. Was it Was it Tom Clancy? Yeah, I, guess, Clancy I thought novel, it was yeah. Thomas it was Clancy's. Ryan. Oh, man. Yeah, it's Tom Clancy. Yeah, it wasn't what, his brother Jim Clancy. What else did he write? Was he good for anything else? Uh, Rainbow Six, I think. Never yep. heard of it. Yep. Of course. Some of All Fears. Never heard of it. He has. Those are all Jack Ryan. Uh, Patriot Rainbow. Games. Clear and Present Danger. They still use his name on the books now, even though yeah. he's six feet under. Yeah, who's writing his books now? Tammy. Amelia Bedelia. I believe he wrote that. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Like the cow dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, surprisingly enough, this is a PG rated film. I know. They said it was the only PG rating the, the director ever got, McTiernan or whatever. Oh, really? Yeah. He's it only had PG-13 and R other than this film, PG. Interesting. Which is funny because he totally like snapped someone's neck in the middle of it. I know. Can you imagine seeing that in a PG film today? Like a 10-year-old being like, oh! <laughs> yeah. like, I, I you know what film totally really imagine. scarred me? Hunt for Red October. It's like, yeah. what? But you wouldn't have a... <laughs> can you imagine? Because how, how old can a PG movie, like, will they not let kids into the theater or something? Or it's just recommended. Wait, I think it's just recommended. A, I think anyone can snapped? get into PG. Oh yeah! As long Did as you it, even watch this, as long as it's a Russian's neck getting snapped in today's world, oh, we'd give it a I G. See. I think we're oh, okay. gotcha. So it's gotcha, right. it's kind of like how you can uh, if you're like shooting aliens in a video game, it's different than if you're like going head to head with people. Exactly, it's less real. Okay, great. correct. Uh, so, like you'd mentioned, this was directed by John McTiernan. Is John that McTiernan, it? yeah, uh, noted criminal. Oh, just to mention, great. He's in jail, I believe, or just out of jail. Or really? Yeah, fancy. He, he lied to federal authorities. And <laughs> they hasn't? don't like it when you do that. Right. <laughs> they, do, they, they definitely do not want you to do that. Yes. Uh, it also stars Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, Scott Glenn, Sam Neill, James Earl Jones, Courtney B. Vance, Tim Curry. There it is. And an, yeah, Tim Curry. And an extremely sweaty Stellan Skarsgård. No, wait, wait, wait. Mr. Kyle, what about the guy from Ohio? Who? The guy from Youngstown, Ohio, Anthony Peck. Rest in peace. He's dead. Oh, I thought it was going to be Dave Chappelle. <laughs> that, Dave but, Chappelle just appears. No, Ben, there's more than one African-American actor out there. Oh. Hey, oh. From Ohio? I think that's what he's going for. Oh, oh good, funny, John Alex. Legend. My bad. 
yeah, I don't know. Courtney B. Vance is funny because he he's come back into prominence because that OJ TV show. So like he's a well-regarded television actor now. Who was he in that? He was a sonar guy. Oh, you're talking about in the yeah, OJ? I'm like, wait, I don't remember a sonar guy in the OJ show. No, no, he was uh, Johnny Cochran. <laughs> oh, that's why he looks so familiar. Yeah, he's okay. Yep. All right, let's get into this. Yes. <laughs> All right. So it's 1984, and a Soviet, a new Soviet submarine is being launched with Captain Marco Ramius, and he's commanding. It's called Red October, and it's a kind of a larger Typhoon class uh, nuclear missile submarine, and it's got something very special about it. Uh, what does it have? Pretty. We learn it a little bit later, but we may as well talk about it. Yeah, it has a what is referred to as a caterpillar drive, which is a silent propulsion system, which means. Those guys can just straight up disappear. Right. And so this is a little different from the book. They kind of say that the Americans had tried to develop it, but couldn't get it to work. And the Russians had finally got it to work and they were kind of launching this boat. In mm. the book, it was kind of explained that the Americans tried it, but it wasn't as good and, and they couldn't, it wasn't as like efficient as they had hoped. And so they scrapped it. They actually actively were like, we don't actually want to do that technology anymore. Mm -hmm. But that's um, way later. Yeah. It yeah. zooms in on what I hope my face looks like when I'm much older. Mm. Sean Connery's very weathered eyes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind great. of like a like a Father Christmas type of look you're going for, right? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Anyway, so Father Christmas is on the bridge of the submarine, and he's like ready to launch, baby. And the sub is huge; it's gigantic. It's a typhoon. Yeah, and he's super well regarded. He's basically trained everyone in the Russian uh, submarine like ranks, and they're presumably are supposed to be going out on a kind of training mission, war games, with one of his proteges, um, Captain Tupolev. And uh, they're going to basically be trying to evade these attack submarines using this Caterpillar drive. Like that's that we know kind of that's that that's the mission. Right. But before this, uh, there's word the Americans get word that there are there's something new about this one going out. It has these doors on it. Yeah, that so, they yeah. have not seen before. Yeah. So Jack Ryan is an analyst. He lives in London as a professor at the time, but he gets these pictures from one of his sources in Russia because he's like a Russia specialist for the CIA analyst. And so he's get these pictures from one of his spies that he has in the network. And so he sees these doors and is like, oh shit, like I better tell, go, go and tell Washington. So he flies from London all the way to Washington. This part was so stupid though. He's explaining to a flight attendant what yeah. turbulence is, like she's not going to know. Right. <laughs> talking about how air, warm air is like <laughs> yeah. rising to the He's like, oh, I don't like turbulence. Right. She's like, what? What are you talking about? Turbul well, let me so let me explain turbulence. Is that mansplaining? Is that what <laughs> right, it's called? Yeah, I think so. It uh, is. Alec Baldwin explaining more like it. And, what? And he, uh, but yeah, so he's heading to Washington to basically show this off a little bit. Um, and so he does it of his own volition. Like they're not even they're they're not asking him to come or whatever. He's basically saying, okay, I found this. Here it is, and he gives it to. Um, an admiral played by James Earl Jones. Darth Vader himself is there, and you're Literally like, "Whoa, the... kill him quick! He's Darth Vader." But he's but got like the best voice you've ever yeah. heard. Yeah, this time he's it's a good so guy. good. And so, um, yeah, Admiral James uh, Greer—that's his name—talks uh, to Jack Ryan. Is basically like, "Oh shit! Like, this is pretty important. Uh, what do you want to do about it?" He's like, "I'm going to go talk to one of the guys who works on your." submarines if i if i can and kind of try to figure out what these things are 
And so he heads off to talk to the submarine expert. Mm -hmm. And then we cut on over to the USS Dallas, and that's where we're introduced to Courtney B. Vance. Yeah. So he's like a sonar guy, and he's like real smart. He uses his computer to like look at stuff, but he's also real good with his ears because he loves music. That's what we're told. We're like, oh, he likes music too, though. So his ears must be real good and refined. Ooh. Yeah. He's like, no, Pavarotti's like a tenor, and you're talking to really Pagliato. Good. Yeah. Great. And anyways, this this whole part on the Dallas is way different than the book. Um, everything else was pretty much the same as the book, but the stuff on the Dallas was very different. It was I, just more to introduce us that there's going to be another sub in the movie yeah, and at they had this to, point. They had to really simplify portions of the plot, even though they kept it pretty complex. Um, the book is even more like intricate and weird with all the plots kind of flying around. Mm-hmm. Anyways. And then we cut back on over to the Red October, and yeah. this is the scene where we're finally going to get the orders for what the mission is. Right. And Ramius Conry goes into his quarters and guess who's there? A PO, political officer. Boo. Nobody, nobody likes him aboard any of these subs. That's basically one of the big themes from our podcast is how universally <laughs> yeah. everyone fucking hates the political officer. Yeah. Get I mean, here. there's never been there's never been a movie where somebody's like, oh, good. I'm glad they're here. Yeah. So anyways, he dislikes this guy so much, he just straight up kills him. Yeah. This is also weird because he just kind of like, at the he breaks the guy's neck. Uh, basically, they read the orders. The orders are the war, this war game stuff. And he breaks the guy's neck. And then he's like, oh, shit. And he like throws some tea on the floor and mm-hmm. then puts it back. I'm like, who would, ever, who would ever fucking believe that? There's just like randomly, I'm like, well, how did you spill right. that tea all the way over there? Yeah. I thought for sure, because in the, well, anyways, I can't, I can't always talk about what the book did, but anyways. But anyways. The book was better. He slips in, he slips in his own orders. Yeah. And then this part kind of threw me off. He takes the old orders and he burns them. Wouldn't they be like, why does it smell like burning in here? Would yeah. you burn something in here? Yeah. Oh, what are, what are all these ashes? <laughs> well, why do you have these ashes? It's and like, well, for my grief, all of my food t- turned to ashes in my mouth. Like, yeah. oh, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. I started the cremation process and I only got done with this toenail. Right. I don't know. I, I thought the same thing. I was like, the whole place would smell like burning. Why are you doing that? Yeah. Kind of odd. Yeah. So anyway, so he made these new orders where it's like, we're going to go, we're going to sneak. It's actually a, a true mission. It's almost K-19-ish, right? Like, oh no, they, they believe the Caterpillar drive is totally fine. No big deal. We're going to actually sneak to the American coast and do training drills under their nose using the Caterpillar drill. Mm-hmm. So then to be like, fuck the Americans, right? And everyone's like, yeah, fuck the Americans, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And everyone's like, cool. Except for us, one cook who's kind of be- being there like, that's weird. And he's kind of clearly a very shady character. And then Tim Curry, mm-hmm. the doctor, is like, um, shouldn't we just turn back? Because this is pretty fucked up that that guy's like head turned all the way around and because his neck was broken. Yeah. Can I, can I yeah. cut in with a um, wonderful Tim Curry clip I grabbed? Yeah. Oh, sure. For all those Tim Curry fans out there, if you're like me, you Tim love Curry Tim heads, Curry. Yeah. And here it is. <laughs> so unfortunately, <laughs> Tim Curry did not do his famous laugh in this movie. I know, no, dude. I was just waiting for it. He was actually kind of a dumbo in the end. Like in the end, he's he's always just like, guys, shouldn't we not be doing this? Should we maybe do this? And then they, in the end, he's like basically like, huh, right? Everything was pretty cool. And it's like, <laughs> right? oh, you're such an idiot. <laughs> he, he was just the hot guy in the movie. That's it. Yeah, yeah. dude. That, yeah, that's that, right. That's sweet eye candy for all those uh, ladies <laughs> that guys drag to the movie. Well, not just the ladies, Kyle. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Let's not be close-minded. Uh, but Sean Connery then goes to the bridge and kind of announces to everyone, like, this is our mission. We're going to, like, 
totally screw with the Americans. And we're going to sit right off the coast of New York and conduct missile drills. Yeah, and everyone's super jazzed about it. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, is, is the Dallas following them, them at this point? It is, right? They've oh. already found them, right? Well, so the Dallas, which is the U.S. Oh, South, yeah, they started following because they heard the turbines or whatever. Yeah, yeah they yeah, yeah. they were tracking the Red October and then all of a sudden it disappeared. Right. So he announces this the plan to the crew. They're like, oh, the Caterpillar's ready. Turn it on. They switch it on. Everyone's singing like the national anthem of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. and Which is like a 10 minute long song. Right. And there's only one person kneeling and you're like, what's that about, man? Yeah. And, um, uh, but they, they turn and basically they disappear to the Dallas, uh, as they do this. And he's like, I could have sworn it disappeared, but I heard singing as it disappeared. So they're kind of freaked out on the Dallas of like, what's going on. Yeah. Um, and they have some ideas. They do think there might be something going on with some promote propulsion or whatever. Yeah. And so, uh, Jack Ryan goes goes talking to the submarine guy and he basically says this. He's like, okay, we've tried to develop something like this in the past. It's called the Caterpillar Drive. We couldn't get it to work. They apparently have. It's a first strike weapon, basically, because why else would you need something to sneak past all of the barriers necessarily? And why would it be going right now? Like, why would it have just launched? Because that was another thing that the Admiral told him, right? Like, it actually launched. Mm -hmm. So it's important you were here. And uh, then we cut on over to Russia and Connery in an extremely ballsy move, sent a letter to his superiors that just basically said, hey, I'm going to ignore your orders and I'm going to defect to the US and basically hand over this technology. Yeah. And well, yeah, I'm not even sure it was necessarily going to hand over the technology, right? That wasn't necessarily certain, definitely oh. the point. But how, what else are you going to do? You get rescued and scuttle the boat or you set, set something to blow up the boat. I mean, it That's clearly true. wasn't end, end up being the case, but like yeah. they could have done that. Um, but yeah, so this was, it all com- boils down to his feeling like he was disrespected and he kind of gave his life to the Soviet Union, even though he was uh, Lithuanian. Yep. And so- um, his his like wife had died in the book. They kind of mentioned his two sons also died like in service as well. They gave their lives to, to the country, and um, he his when his wife died, he felt like there wasn't any real acknowledgement. There wasn't any grief for help or people kind of being like, "You're obviously going through a tough time" or whatever. It was just all Soviet Union, Soviet Union, Soviet Union, Soviet Union, and it kind of like steeled his reserve, saying, "Well, now I don't have anything left to connect me to Russia." So. Uh, Soviet Union. So it's time to jet. And he's basically collected together all these officers because that's what's revealed. It's revealed all the officers on board are in leagues with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of collected together all these officers who were A, willing to defect and B, didn't really have any ties to Russia. So there wasn't any reason for them to like change their mind thinking of their sons or uh, wives. They were all single men and officers that had trained under him. So very trusted people. Yep. And yeah. after he sent that letter about his defection, the Russian Navy decided to send every ship, every single ship, yeah, uh, after him yeah. to uh, sink him, pretty much. And so this alerted the Americans because they said there were over fifty ships or something that set sail. On, I mean, obviously they're tracking the Red October, and that's headed towards the U.S. So all yeah. these things are headed toward the U.S. puts people on alarm. Yeah, and, and nothing then, in nothing in the Pacific. So that was that was a key detail for Jack Ryan because he goes to the chief of staff or the Joint Chiefs or whatever. The big meaning of all the people who advise the president about this shit. And basically Admiral Greer is like, you're giving the presentation. And he's like, say what? I am just Jack Ryan, analyst extraordinaire. Don't worry about it. 
And but he goes in and basically presents all the details. And they're trying to figure out why why is it what's happening or why is this boat heading towards the United States coast? Because it seems like right. a first strike thing. It seems like this guy is going rogue to blow up Washington with with nuclear missiles. That's what it looks like. But don't worry, yeah. Jack Ryan is so quick on his feet. He thinks, wait a minute, this guy is probably trying to defect. Yeah. So he, 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 because he knows him so well, this is one of the people he's had to study and make reports for the CIA about. He's even he met know, him at yeah, dinners. He met him at a dinner. He knows that this is the exact date that his wife died a year ago. Mm-hmm. And he looks at all the people kind of on the boat and he's like, no, they're defecting. I'm confident in the fact that they are defecting. It's not a case of them striking because he has no, there, there's no reason to see in his profile to think that he's like so crazy pro, pro-Soviet Union in this way to do like a first strike like this. Yeah. It's the opposite. He, he He's a good candidate for defecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so anyways, one of the generals and him get into it, whatever, but uh, one of them, the head guy, believes him and says, all right, I'm going to give you, what is it, four days or something yeah. to prove this. If not, like, it's your ass pretty much. Yeah. And so they send him off to 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 a uh, aircraft carrier to basically try to, I don't know if it was necessarily to rendezvous, but kind of coordinate some of the efforts yep. out there. And at this time, we also do cut on over to a, another submarine commanded by Tupolev. Yeah. And that is Stellan Skarsgård, who is, like I, I mentioned, he's sweaty. This dude is sweating so the whole sweaty. time. It's great. So and he's also smoking on the sub right here. Yeah. Was, a bunch of people smoking on the sub. I was pretty right? happy There's about cigarettes that. cigarettes everywhere. They were, yeah. kind of, they were always offering each other cigarettes. It's and awesome. Jack Ryan was like, I don't smoke. I don't smoke. I don't smoke until the end where he's like, fucking, I need a fucking cigarette, right? Yeah. Right, guys? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, he's he's dead set on, they're going to go 105% to catch up with uh, the Red October and take them out. Yes, they are. So anyways, the Dallas at this time is also, they keep on picking up this signal, this kind of like whirring, mechanical whirring noise um, that Courtney B. Vance, the sonar guy, has detected at like four different spots. And he kind of demonstrates how it's got to be man-made. So it must be something like a new propulsion drive. If you speed it up, it kind of goes... Yeah. So like it's... They're not using their propellers or whatever. Like they're using this other thing in order to kind of try to evade. They have a new technology. He said, boom, boom, boom. Look at where it's going. And they he maps it out and says, they're heading to the ridge like the canyons in the middle of the atlantic yep yeah and also around this time on the red october ramius has a meeting with all of his uh commanding officers and basic it's kind of funny because they're like hey how'd that po die (laughs) uh we're pretty sure you murdered him yeah (laughs) they're like um uh, yeah he's He tells him, oh, by the way, I also sent a letter to Moscow to let them know that we're defecting. And they look at him like, what the fuck, dude? Why would you do that Yeah, I can't us? remember if he did that in the book. I feel like he didn't. He just did it himself and, yeah. and didn't mention it, kind of. He just, you know, obviously people would come after them when right. they had the plot going. So why necessarily say I was the one who got people to come after me? Anyways, Tupolev is the closest. And yeah. that's the case here. And that's a guy that but... he trained specifically. Yeah. But he is fairly confident that they can outsmart the Russian Navy because yeah. he basically trained all of them. But he, he even tells the guys, we got about a one in three chance. Yeah. yeah and Sam also, Neill, even after they close the door, he's like, I don't think you should have done that. Yeah, probably shouldn't have done that. 
Yeah, they use this in the book. They use this to a much greater effect. All this, all these plots are much more intricate in the book. Like the whole radiation tags, they send Tim Curry off as a kind of an excuse to get him out of the room. Like that, oh, all that all factors okay. into a much more. Like that's kind of used in how to convince the crew that there's a leak on the boat, and then they have to eventually scuttle the boat in, in this very intricate plot of like they had like people who constructed things on. Um, you know, on payroll, I mean, basically within the conspiracy as well, helping them out and, Mm -hmm. you know, different things like that. But it's neither here nor there for this case. Right. So they're heading down the canyon and and basically the Dallas is like, well, if they're heading down the canyon because they have it super well mapped, we can't chase them. They're going to be much faster than us. So we'll head over to, uh, we'll head over to the end of the canyon and kind of catch them at that point. Yep. So they head over that way. But the... uh... (laughs) But the Red October, when they enter into the canyon, because they have it, like you said, specifically mapped out. They just want to hit these certain points at a certain time. Ramius thinks that's not good enough. They're going to fly through this thing. Right. And, and they, they do. Are, they yeah. start taking off. And it gets it gets a little dicey here. It seemed like that was part of that was a plot to to make the excuse for why the cap, Caterpillar drive ends up failing at this point, right? Like they have it where the cat- caterpillar drive overheats and they have to stop it and ends up being a saboteur quote unquote saboteur is on the boat. Right. Kind of stop. Cause somebody it, should but. totally cut all these wires to a cooling unit. <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty obvious. Yeah. It turns out that it's all, it's all part of the conspiracy as well to convince the crew that they have to scuttle the boat. Yeah. That there's a saboteur on, boat, on board, but there's but so, really not. Right. Well, yeah. so when they start, uh, when they start running loud, all of a sudden anti-air or anti-sub planes fly over and they drop torpedoes into the canyon. And we got one of them chasing the Red October. Yeah. And we get into some uh, pretty fancy pants maneuver in here. Yeah. Everybody's on pins and needles. And uh, Connery goes outside of the known course and he just barely skirts this wall. Yeah. And he's able to do it fast enough where the torpedo can't react or something and just slams into the canyon wall and totally misses them. Yeah. And at this point, Jack Ryan has gotten onto his aircraft carrier and they're, they have no time for him because it's basically on the verge of war with Russia. And so he's like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'll rendezvous with Dallas myself and I, just get me over there. And they're like, well, that would take a helicopter filled with gasoline. He's like, well, you have one over there. And so he heads out on this helicopter. <laughs> it's all right. You are the military. So, so hold on. First they say, no, we're not going to do that. Right. And then all of a sudden a jet is about to land on the carrier crashes. Yeah. yeah. And then there's like a huge fireball, and then they just send them off in the helicopter. Yeah, that part made no sense. It was a little weird. It seemed like it was just like we got enough to deal with. Get this guy out of here. Like we can't deal with that. This had dude. to be the only situation. Yeah. I mean, it was really odd. And he flies out there, and eventually he does. They're like, and the, "Fucking Dallas isn't going to surface for you, you jackass." But it does, and he <laughs> does this also another fancy maneuver out of the helicopter to land inside that submarine. Oh yeah, well outside the submarine, but then they bring him inside the submarine. Yeah, they uh, they drop him, and the the winds are so they're blowing yeah. so hard that the helicopter is basically running on fumes. It's going to have to leave because they can't make him connect. He says, "Screw that," and he just lets go of his uh, vest and falls in the water. Yeah, and so Jack Ryan's there, and they are pretty much ready at this point from the U.S. side to blow the Red October out of the water. They're like, "It's getting too close to the United States. Kill it." But Jack Ryan convinces the captain, no, we got to make contact. We got to convince him or get a message to him to do it. And this guy's like, 
that's weird because this is a PG movie, but I got my dick out and can't you tell that I'm the captain? And Jack Ryan's yeah. like, well, I got a special CIA like license to pull my dick out. And like, like James Bond? And it's like, yes, like James Bond. Exactly. Yeah. But then he convinces him by like kind of telling him how much he knows about the captain and like how he's convinced that it's actually a case that he's giving up the submarine because he's like, he's going to do a crazy Ivan now and it's going to be to starboard. And right then he does a crazy Ivan to starboard. Yep. Yeah. And so- they kind of make themselves known. Yeah. And then yeah, they yeah, both yeah. go up to periscope death and they're communicating they via Morse, Morse, code. Morse code and pings and shit. And basically the captain, uh, Sean Connery realizes, oh yeah, this is it. This is the time to do it. This submarine can help me do what needs to be done. Yeah. But at that same moment, who's there? Fucking Tupolev, right? Well, I guess he- they not, first, not yet. Yeah, yeah. Not they, yet. They basically determine at this point that- they start they start heading away from the submarine, but they they run it at like a hundred and ten percent and have it so that the reactor fails. Yeah, and, and they, like, they have like yeah. a, a fake radiation alarm go yeah. off so they can get all the people who don't obviously want to defect off the sub and they can be quote unquote rescued by the United States. Yeah. And then the Americans can make contact with them because they have a special little mini sub. Which mm-hmm. was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They talked about it. Yeah. They're like, we got this. It can dock on any type of boat or whatever. No big deal. Yeah. So dock, they, dock on a Russian boat. So they sent that on out there. They hooked up. They got inside the sub. Yep. And things are very tense. Yeah. Because nobody knows what's going to happen. The Americans come in with all their guns. Everybody's guns blazing. But uh, Jack, now- Jack Ryan's like, give me a cig. I got to smoke yeah. up real quick. Yeah, they start smoking. And all of a sudden, they start getting shot at by someone. Yeah. So apparently, according to Wikipedia, this was a secret KGB agent that was on the submarine. I didn't necessarily. Oh, they should have made that that much more well known. Um, Because in the book, that was just it was a son of a high-ranking Russian Politburo guy. So like, he had reason like to be suspicious and not want to defect. So he stayed on the boat and then started this, trying to sabotage, trying to officially scuttle the boat or actually scuttle the boat. Yeah. So they start shooting at him. They kill the guy, the Sam Neill, who all he wanted to do was live in Montana raising rabbits. And have a very round American wife. That's what he said. And two, two in fact, one in Arizona, one in Montana, which would be frowned upon probably. Yeah. But I mean, he's Russian. I mean, whatever. You can do what you want, right? Yeah. And they'd probably be like, well, he's Russian. Who's to know? Yeah. I don't know what they do over there. Uh, So anyways, he dies. And then all of a sudden, so the guy who shot him runs off and Tupolev now shows up. And it's funny because now we got enemies working together again. Seems yeah, to be a high, common thing. They're high five in Russian yeah. America. High five in all day. But it's funny because uh, before the action starts going, you know, they're trying to evade this stuff, and Connery's like, "Get that thing off my sub." And he's talking about the mini sub. Yeah. So they send that away. It's like someone shooting at us. Like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Pretty much. Yep. We never see that guy again. Yeah. So they start doing some fancy maneuvers and shit, and they're trying to get rid of out of torpedo range. Jack Ryan is like fist fighting some dude in like the reactor room getting shot at and like, getting real sweaty getting real sweaty and then covered in like boiling water or some shit i don't even I know oh man yeah i don't know so he fights them kills that dude they evade they first evade uh the torpedo by going straight at it which is like not necessarily suicidal yeah. right but then it turns out that it's because the the torpedo isn't armed yet like they basically get so close to it that the torpedo wouldn't arm until like four thousand feet or something they get within three thousand feet and so their torpedoes just kind of like flutter away and like bounce yeah. off the submarine you think it would have made more noise 
it was just like boom and then dis- disintegrated. Yeah. But then the next time they get shot at, they have to do even, they have to do much fancier maneuvers. So yeah, the because comes uh, Tupolov comes yeah. out and he disarms that mechanism that yeah. they need. Yeah. So then it's, it's armed right when it leaves the tube. But like the Dallas comes in at one point and saves them by getting so close. Yeah, it throw, right, it right totally here. throws a pick, man. Yeah. And it, it kind of goes after them for a second, but then it comes back and is coming back at the Red October. And then they have to do a fancy, they kind of like move around and basically get the Oh, and they attacking shoot them. up out of the water. Yeah. And they kind of come around and get Tupolov with his own torpedo. Mm-hmm. They're able to do that. Also, around this time, a torpedo is dropped in by a helicopter again. or by the battleship. It's basically exactly the same shot yeah. over again. Which is and weird. Um, James Earl Jones is on the battleship now. And they need to make it look like they sank the Red October so all the survivors can say they did. But he detonates that thing way early so it doesn't sink him. But then, now it's all covered up. Yeah. Everyone, you, Tim Curry, he's got like a tear rolling down his face. He's like, thank God for our hero, Captain. Oh, boy. And everyone's like, wow, you're real dumb, man. Yeah. Yep. And so, yeah, then they, after they've kind of like covered everything up, they've got rid of Tupolov, like asshole. They've um, got rid of the crew, those assholes. They are going into Maine, where Jack Ryan's like, yo, I grew up here. And he's like, it kind of reminds me of Lithuania. And then they high-five a whole bunch, and they stare deep into each other's eyes. And for a second, you're like, wait, what's happening here? But then it's like more of like a grandfathery thing, where they like pat each other on the shoulder and like, we'll fish together someday. And then they, and then they never a, did. They say a poem about like Christopher Columbus, and he's like, welcome to the new world. And he winks at the camera. And there's a twinkle in his eye. Great. The end. That's it. Yeah. The Hunt. You guys make it sound so good. It is, right? Yeah. Basically, they should have just made the movie where we say the plot into a microphone and they play it over the actual shots of the film. That'd be good. Because we have been talking for, what, two hours, 15 minutes? Mm-hmm. Feels like it. I'll <laughs> <laughs> be just narrating the movie. Uh, this is where Sam Neill's going to walk over to a, uh, I think, a computer and push Probably. a oh, button. Nope, oh. nope, 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 never mind. He, oh. Now he's talking to Sean Connery. Yeah. Sorry, I forgot Shoot. this part. Uh, oh, let me make up the dialogue here. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. Uh, anyways, this is the greatest film ever made, right? We should get into some ratings. Ratings. Oh, ratings. Ratings. I come and I don't want to go home. Actually, I got a quick thing to say about that. That transitioned perfectly because <laughs> there is a Beetlejuice crossover in this movie. That's true. Alec Baldwin. <laughs> well... Oh. And another actor, Jamie. Uh, I know. I know this. I know this. I know this. I Michael kn- Keaton played the president. You're right. Just didn't see you got it. it. It was cut from the movie. <laughs> no, the the one guy with the orange hair near the beginning, I recognized him immediately. And oh, I'm like, wait Jeffrey's. a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeffrey he's Jones. Also crim- he's also a criminal. Yeah. I was like, that's was the a, guy uh, from Beetlejuice, too. He was arrested for child pornography. Really? Yeah. In, in R.L.? In real life, yeah. Ah, well, all right, fans, listeners, <laughs> you can probably donate <laughs> to his to bring cause. Us down. So, yeah. oh, probably dear. has some bills he needs to pay. Mm. That guy mm. arrested? Wow. Yes. Yeah. He was in Ferris Bueller. That's how I recognize him. He was. Him from. So, yeah, yeah oh, that's how principal. I know him. The principal from yeah. Ferris Bueller. He was arrested, yes. Dang. Yeah. Well, shouldn't have been doing that. Yeah. yeah so, it's the director, and it's like kind of a arresting crossover with the director and him. It's great. They can make a whole movie where they're just sitting in prison together, just talking about Hunt for Red October. <laughs> the good times. Yeah. Oh, God. As, oh, that's as so they refer funny. To it. 
Oh. <laughs> he was also an Amadeus. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> that, that was a shock. shock. Zach, you got a soundboard over there? No, that's just... That wasn't me. That's the audience. We're, we're podcasting <laughs> in front of a live audience, uh, Ben. Come on, <laughs> the submarine. It's actually the rest of the crew of the submarine. There were mm-hmm. 63 men. Yeah. <laughs> 63 souls died that day. Oh. Ooh. Why don't we have 64 people? Somewhere at 69 total. Nice. <laughs> I like You're really it. hitting it. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. <laughs> Let's do some ratings here. Brown, what do you, what do you got, man? Me? Yeah, you. Uh, well, I really enjoyed, uh, well, first of all, we got a, a star-studded cast, and that uh, lend, lended its, lent, lent itself to a lot of different storylines, and it, uh, it, I liked the, just the pace that that uh, created. It was, uh, there was so much going on, um, got right into the action. I, I haven't really seen any other Tom Clancy movies um, so I don't know if that's kind of his theme that it's kind of action packed from start to finish, but it, it, it seemed like we kind of got into the story quickly and it bounced around between all of the different, you know, major characters, um, and ultimately had a very, uh, interesting and, uh, unique storyline. I didn't really necessarily know where the movie was going, uh, in terms of, you know, is this going to go badly or go sideways, um, but uh, ultimately, it was a really rewarding uh, story that I really enjoyed. Um, just, again, very unique from any of the other submarine movies we've watched, too, which, which gives it a lot of credit. And, again, you had a lot of the staples of, uh, of a classic submarine movie, unlike some that we've watched where you don't even have a lot of footage on the sub. This one you had uh, plenty of sub action. You had gunplay on the sub. You had talk of mutiny. You had uh, Tim Tim Curry's smoking hot body. Ooh. He technically uh, had fire because he did light those things on fire. Oh, we did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the biggest fire, but a little bit of everything here for someone that likes submarines or war movies. Was there, wrench? Or... Was there a wrench? No wrench. Uh, I don't think there was much wrench wrench action. There was but... hammer action. There was. there was, and that was very disappointing because he's like, "Give me the hammer, <laughs> give, sure, right? give me the wrench, yeah. come on." What do you need a hammer on a sub for? Get out of here. Oh, I got a, I got a small carpentry project I'm working on. I'm sorry, I don't have any hammers. I have these six wrenches. Could have any of them. Go on. Regardless, then. I was happy to finally see this classic. This is uh, this is one of those movies that I can check off of the of the list of movies I have to see. I think it's probably my third favorite. I'm going to put it behind uh, Das Boot and Crimson Tide, but only just, I'm going to give it an eight and a half. Mm. All right. Nice. Amazing. Solid rating. Who wants to go next? Screw it. I'll go next. Okay. Oh, shit. All right. This movie... I won't do the Zach thing. That's I'll leave that up to you. Uh, <laughs> what, do so I, what? Hunt, what do I do? N- nothing. <laughs> All right. This movie was action-packed, like you mentioned, Ben. Star-studded cast. Visuals were great. All those underwater shots were done with miniatures in a room filled with smoke, and you would never know that. They look so good. And, oh, wow. That is kind of cool. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. Uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff, that you can watch on this movie is also very incredible. Connery was good. Alec Baldwin really shocked me. Hmm. I uh, was 
pretty surprised because most of the stuff you see him in, he's kind of like a goofy type guy. You know, you know him from Team America and things like that. Yeah. Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah. And James Earl Jones actually said in the behind the scenes stuff that Alec Baldwin was crazy. He's crazy good. He memorized all kinds of lines overnight, had no problem doing it. He even rem- remembers his Russian lines still to this day. You should have seen <laughs> cut back over to James Earl Jones. He's like, he still remembers that? <laughs> He's like, how does he know? Uh, so he was surprisingly good. I was pretty shocked at that. Uh, he was Baldwin in the '90s, man. He was also in that movie, The Edge, that we really enjoyed. Mm. Oh, that's a great. Was that movie. the one with the, Was that the one with the bear? Yeah, yeah, yep. And the black guy that dies. Sure, <laughs> great. And he fights Anthony Hopkins like hand to hand combat, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. after the African American dies. Probably. Yeah. All right. Or they just do they just yell at each other? I just remember that from the poster. Is it like yelling like ah? Maybe the edge, but this movie has everything that we're looking for. Has really tense action, a lot of sub action, really yes. good visuals, explosions. Didn't get any no depth charges. Kind of no, sad, yeah. but it's a ten. Oh, wow. a ten, a ten. So, did we ever come to a consensus on what's the best possible score? A twelve, twelve incher, baby. A twelver. That's what I thought. There's no, okay. there's no eleven though. There's just a ten and then a twelve. <laughs> well, but but you could you could go above and beyond. You could give it a twelve and a limpet, a little a limpet sticker. Sure. <laughs> Why not? Anyways, I'm gonna I'll go next. Um, I found this movie like this is another one where I was like, okay, going into it, this is gonna be a ten. I was like, this is gonna be a ten. And then as I was watching, I was like, eh, it's it's kind of flowing the 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 pace wasn't super there it was kind of confusing uh it wasn't good as a book i actually think it's like it doesn't do well if you read the book and then watch the movie like Mm -hmm. they had to simplify simplify certain things to the point where they kind of gloss over some of the complications with what they kind of do with it and the plot is much less intricate from how from the american side of things like they had all kinds of stuff with spies claiming that the the letter that was sent to the Russian guy was actually sent by an Israel, Israel Masood agent and Israel was trying to get the Russian military to assume that their submarine was going rogue by giving them wrong like information of their mission, but also sending this letter. That would and be so, very complicated. So then Russia was convinced, like, was kind of scratching their heads being like, but is he actually going, like, is he actually defecting or is he being tricked by Israel? And so they had to kind of sit there for a second and be like, oh, is Israel trying to get us to blow up our own new technology? Like shit. And so there was much more intricacy in all the plot and stuff like that. And so it, it didn't, it didn't necessarily help this movie to kind of take a step back and be like, oh, it's much simpler, but yet still confusing to someone who didn't necessarily, like, if you didn't read the book, it could be a very confusing movie of kind of understanding who is who and what is what and, and how things are all being put together. So I think it kind of came in a little under what I had expected it to come in, but I still was very entertained, uh, enjoyed it quite a bit, liked all the acting, uh, liked the writing, liked the visuals uh, quite a bit. Some of the stuff at the end in terms of the fighting, like the torpedoes and some of the green screen, like when they're like floating down the river and clearly the green screen's just not very good. That's kind of like not great, but otherwise kind of top-notch stuff. So I was going to come in at a nine. A nine. A nine. A nine. So I thought it was going to come in at ten. Pretty good so far. I had to take it back a little, like just a second back to a nine. All right. All right. I have a quick question. Um, Yeah. yeah. To, uh, you know, to go on from Jamie there. So, Jamie, l- tell the viewers, 
and listeners for the people that are actually watching us right now, but the listeners, um, the book. So did yeah. the, I have a couple questions. Did the book, did reading the book impact your score of a nine? And would you recommend the book to the listeners? I think if I didn't read the book, this might've come in at a nine and a half. Um, it kind of went backwards because of some of the things that I sat there being like, Ugh, I wish they didn't change that. I wish it was different than this. Like I thought Courtney B. Vance's character was much worse in the movie than in the book. Um, that sonar guy was like kind of the all-star. He was he was like really the true hero. He basically finds the Red October uh, without anything. He doesn't have a computer or anything. He basically shits on the computer all day and is like, I'm the best. And he's like, I was listening to this shit and there's something going on over here. He basically finds it out of nowhere and they just start following it without really anything. So he's like a super genius. And that's like a much cooler character than this guy who's like, I'm working with this computer, like cool. And but so does have that bad. scene where they say, oh, you have a $40 or $40 million computer and yeah. you come up with this. Yeah. He's yeah, like, yeah, oh, I know. But it was. Yeah. But then he's like, don't, don't worry. Yeah. I got you, bro. Okay. okay. And so, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I would definitely recommend the book. I think uh, Jack Ryan as a character is very interesting. They kind of, it's funny because that was the first book with Jack Ryan in it. And yet in that book, they basically start you in the middle of his life. Like he's already a hero. He's like an American hero because he foiled a terrorist plot in London. But that hasn't even been, that wasn't even written about at the time that Red October was released. So like huh. in the book, they kind of set it up almost for a prequel. He's already famous within the CIA for having done this thing as like an, an analyst, but you've never read that. Kind of okay. Stuff. So it's interesting so, from that point of view. Recommended book and a recommended yeah. movie. Yeah, I would say so. But I would watch the movie before I read the book. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Zach, I read a third of the book <laughs> and then I realized I was reading and I stopped. Mm. <laughs> you got that far. Well, how many pages is that, Kyle? How, how long is the I think book? It was, I think it was like, was it like 300 pages, something like that? Uh, maybe a little longer than that. I can't yeah. remember. I, I got to roughly like just Wait, over 100. Three, oh, okay. 300 was total. 100 was a third. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, 900 page submarine. But <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. I'm ready for this. Um, I'll hop in with my rating. So I'm going to open this up with, uh, again, we watched the movie, the hunt for red October. Sure. Here's my favorite line of the movie. Captain. If the countermeasure doesn't shut up. That's it. That, that, that's, I liked hearing Sean Connery yell, shut up. And I Shut really, up. it's pretty great. I really, I, w I went back and watched that like five times. It just cracked <laughs> me up. Now, maybe that was because I had five beers, but I laughed a lot at that. Um, and then your, uh, can you do an impersonation of that scene? Shut up. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> and then the, uh, the sound effects were really sweet, which I think they got an Oscar for, for sound editing, but it was awesome. I loved like hearing that sound when the, when the uh, initial um, torpedo was targeting them. It was just awesome um so that was great next no i'm just kidding uh <laughs> so i'm gonna take a moment and say my favorite scene as a part of my rating so that was my favorite sound clip uh my favorite scene was towards the end when sean connor eh, maybe like the, the third yeah i think it was the beginning of the third act when sean when sean was talking about missing the piece of fishing right you guys remember right. that when he was in his like yeah. bunk talking to um uh neil same neil yeah. And that music that was playing, I loved it. I was all about that. It was building up the intensity. Ah. Oh. Hmm. 
That's a great scene, man. Yeah. Do you remember great it? Song, great song. Yeah. I mean, it was. A, it, I think it was a Dave Matthews song playing, right? Yeah. 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 The yeah. hunt, the hunt, the hunt for Red October. <laughs> I thought right, the music sure. there didn't really fit the, the scene because uh, he was like, you know, having that solemn moment, but. I forget what was what was what was about to happen. weren't wasn't weren't weren't they about to get attacked or something? I th- exactly. They were like yeah. I think weren't they about to get the torpedoes locked onto him or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah he he has to come out tense. of his bunk real quick and be like, oh shit. Yeah, it was one of those moments when you're just sitting there talking about life, and then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, this impending doom's about to start happening. I liked it. Sounds um, like a Tuesday for me. <laughs> so, uh, I love this movie. Uh, I've seen it a lot. I pr- this was probably my fourth or fifth time watching it today, and <laughs> <laughs> is that why it, your uh, girlfriend left early? <laughs> fiance, Kyle, come on! Oh, sorry, sorry, you know sorry. That. No you disrespect. Uh, like Zach, three times is enough. <laughs> Wait, the movie? Yeah, That's what she said okay. Um, <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> zing! So, I mean, all you got to say is Sean Connery, James Earl Jones, right. Tim Curry. That's it. That that makes for a perfect movie. That's awesome. So uh, I'm gonna give it a what did you give it, Kyle? A ten. Uh I think the best score I've given this year was to the Life Aquatic. I think I give that an eleven. Mm, not I'm, allowed, gonna give, okay. I'm gonna give this eleven a ten point five. Also not allowed, but we'll allow it. A ten point five? Yeah, man, this is a great movie. This is like, I feel like if anybody ever in the world says, oh, look, a submarine podcast, I'm going to listen to it. They expect to see The Hunt for Red October in that podcast, and it's like a staple. So you're, you're right, 5. actually. We should definitely delete this episode so we don't have it anymore. <laughs> then they'll be yeah. like, wait, I have to listen to all of this until they do Hunt for, for Red October. They're already listening to 44 beforehand. No, I agree, though, Zach. If somebody is asking for a submarine movie to watch... Like it's it's this one, yeah. Like it's just if you want a good one. Like I mean, granted, I love Das Boot, yeah. But not everybody's gonna sit down and watch a nearly four hour German movie. Yeah, I guess if you if you're trying to get capture someone just in general, you're not trying to sway one way or the Crimson Tide is a certain type of audience. One silent, one deep. You got to be okay with watching like a black and white, right, older movie or whatever. And then you have these other ones. This is kind of falls in the middle. Yeah, suit is a million is, hours long miniseries. This is stuff. the gateway drug of sub movies. It is. Right it's, here. it's a catch all. I mean, it's got big names. It's it, it's it's great. Everything about. I I love this movie. I love the people in it. It's it's you know. I mean, it's Tim Curry, people. Come on. Wait, actually, isn't? <laughs> are we sure it's not Phantom though? Oh, I, f- I figured you're going to be a big uh, Stellan Skarsgård fan, Zach, with uh, how much you love the girl with the dragon tattoo. No, I know. Girl yeah, the dragon I know. tattoo. I know. Girl with the dragon tattoo is amazing. He's the bad guy in it. Serial killer. Spoiler alert. But <laughs> playing that Enya song <laughs> in the yeah. Enya, right? That's yeah. a great scene. Sail it away. is. It is. That's like my favorite scene of the movie. <laughs> Because it's so just like you I saw can tell, that, that guy's a psychopath, you know. I saw that movie I think Playing by myself, song? and then I got drunk the next night and played that song with all you guys, except Jamie. And then Yeah, I wasn't there. And then we went to see it the night after that, I think. Well, yeah, yeah, we went and saw it in theaters. Because yeah. I was like, that is that's why you're playing this song. Yeah. I was like, awesome. Jack, why are we why are we partying listening to Enya right now? That doesn't make sense. Right? We'll all party at your wedding. We'll all party to it. Dude, that Enya song. Can't wait, can't wait till I'm invited to your wedding. Thank you. We'll yeah. see how things go, Jamie. <laughs> Looking forward to it. We'll Thank see you. how things go. Um, 
The last thing I'll talk about, because I won't talk until my next segment, Zach Vax. Um, I want to talk about the NES game. I don't know if anybody else has information on the Nintendo, Inter- the Nintendo Entertainment Systems game, The Hunt for Red October. But this is this is this was my first opening to this. Like, I was about four or five years old, right? The game came out. I had a Nintendo Entertainment System. I was four or five years old. I got the game, The Hunt for Red October. I got it on my system, the Nintendo Entertainment System. And I got that from my uncle. And then he gave me the game, The Hunt for Red October, to play it on the Nintendo Entertainment System. And it was in the winter or maybe the spring or the fall or the summer. I can't remember. And then when I got the game. some season? Yeah, it was some season, you know, of a year. And when I was four or five with the Nintendo Entertainment System with the game, (laughs) The Hunt for Red October. I remember. (laughs) Where is this going? (laughs) I remember sitting with my dad and I was asking him about what the game was, right? Because it's like, I'm like four or five years old playing on the Nintendo Entertainment System, The Hunt for Red October. And I was asking him, (laughs) and I'm like, what is this game? And he told me it was a book. And I'm like, oh, but I never read the book. What's the name of the book? (laughs) The book was The Hunt for Red October. Oh. And, you know, because my dad had the book, you see, he had the book. So he read the book and I played the game. So he read the book. I played the game, The Hunt for Red October on the (laughs) Nintendo Entertainment System. But the first time I turned it on, I was on my couch and I was sitting on my couch and we had some snacks. You know, I was five years old playing The Hunt for Red October on the Nintendo Entertainment System. I didn't know what was playing at first, but (laughs) I finally got the game started. It eventually turned on, right? But remember on the, the Nintendo Entertainment System, these games like The Hunt for Red October were in cartridges. And you had to blow on those cartridges to get them to play, mm-hmm. right? Because they got dusty. So I remember blowing in this cartridge to get the game going. But eventually the game finally started, the Hunt for Red October <laughs> on the Nintendo Entertainment System. And I remember my dad and I both looking at the screen, and then the game logo came up. And I'll never forget what my dad said. It was amazing. Oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. Oh great! <laughs> cool. Good lord! Don't don't cut any of that, Kyle. <laughs> that was like eight minutes long. <laughs> All right, uh, about fifty minutes in, Alex, you have a uh, rating for this. Uh, I'm going to go just a little bit higher um, with the rating. Uh, I'm going to do just a ten point six. <laughs> Because I really liked it. It's really good. Uh, this is one of the movies I also grew up watching quite a bit. I think I've said that about several videos that we've already uh, done here. But this was definitely one of them. Um, obviously, I I don't have a problem understanding the plot of the movie. Uh, but uh, if Jamie thinks you got to read the book to understand it, that's fine. But I, I get it. Um, some other things, though, that hadn't really been caught up on or talked about was just there's a whole bunch of like little one-line jokes in here that kind of just make me laugh and chuckle uh i always really liked when they were trying to get uh jack ryan uh onto the submarine and the uh, helicopter and the guy's talking about the turbulence or whatever that it wasn't that bad and that they threw up all over the the first helicopter before i always thought that was oh, really yeah. funny <laughs> and i also really liked uh when he's trying to send out a Morse code, uh, the the captain of the Dallas, I think, um, he says my Morse is really bad. I could be sending the like the playmate 
uh, whatever. What is it called? Dimensions. <laughs> yeah, the dimensions, dimensions of the Playmate, playmate yeah, of the yeah. Month. Yeah, I was. I laughed at that. Other mm-hmm. than that, um, I, I really like the movie. I always have. This is uh, one of my top three favorite submarine movies, as I've oh, said for right. a while the now. Start of how how this all started. Yeah. Um, uh, have we hit all three by this point? Oh yeah. Crimson yep, Tide, is, Phantom. No. And, no. Nope. What was the first one? Phantom K nineteen and this. Oh, yep. Yeah. There it is. Wow. Yep. There, there it, it ends. Is. Now it ends. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> you guys. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> All right. All right, man. Let's all right. get into some trivia Let's here. Get some trivia. There's some great ones in this. I didn't even get to go through all of the trivia on IMDb. And do yourself a favor. There's some really great ones, particularly about Sean Connery and how he's a madman. So I'm going to start out with that one, which is <laughs> after consulting with the wardrobe and makeup departments behind uh, J- the director, John McTiernan's back, sure, Sir Sean Connery arrived on set for his first day of shoots with his hairpiece incorporating a ponytail. Uh, many years later, once Connery's potential influence had greatly waned, McTiernan stated in an interview with Sight and Sound magazine that he was fucking livid with Connery um, and that he had tried – then he tried to use his considerable heft with the studio going over his head to try to get the ponytail to stay. But after the first day of shooting, everyone couldn't stop laughing at how ridiculous it looked and so he finally right. agreed to not do it. And this gets back to the next thing, which was $20,000 were spent, spent on Sean Connery's toupee for the film, which probably means two, toupees, plural, because of the first one that they had to scrap and then make a new one. Yeah. Does he often wear a toupee? I thought that was just well, he was already, He was already bald at this point. Right? Oh, really? Yeah. What's well, a good looking toupee? It's a very good looking toupee. Should yeah, be like, for 10000 bucks. It's like Nick it Cage, right? Nick Cage is actually bald. I don't know if you knew that. No, he is not. He is. He wears toupees. It's unbelievable that, that long, luxurious flowing locks are not actually not natural. Well, Con Air does not look natural. but <laughs> Or Next or any of the other films that for some reason he has stringy, weird, long hair. Yeah. That's not real? No, not real. So anyways, the fighter crashing onto the flight deck was actually stock footage from guess what year? Uh, 47. 1951. Ah. The particular aircraft was piloted by official test pilot George Chamberlain Duncan, who was alive at the time that the film was released. Uh, Duncan survived the crash with minor burns, and after a few months, he was back flying. Uh, Alec Baldwin accepted the role of Jack Ryan because Harrison Harrison Ford turned it down. Cast member Sam Neill also benefited from Ford's refusal uh, three years later by being cast in the lead role of Jurassic Park, which was first offered to Harrison Ford. You know who else was supposed to be in that role? I don't know you. Kevin Costner. Oh, that would have been good. Yeah, they mentioned him in the... I'm joking. That beneath the Surface. Okay, due to his obligation to this film, director John McTiernan had to pass up directing Die Hard 2. So you can thank this film for that. Ooh. Uh, James Earl Jones is the only actor to reprise his role in the first three films. So this, Patriot Games, and Clear and Present Danger. He's in all three as the same character. During this is a sad one. During filming in 1989, the USS Houston, which doubled for the USS Dallas in certain scenes, snagged the tow cable, t- tow cable between the commercial tugboat Barcona and a barge, sinking the tugboat ten miles off Long Beach, California. One crewman d- drowned in the accident. Damn. Yep. Rip. Uh, Kevin Costner turned down the role of Jack Ryan in order to make dances uh, with wolves. Obviously, a giant mistake considering they it won Best Picture and he won Best Director for it. But obviously, a huge mistake not doing this film. He directed that? What? Dances with Wolves? Yeah. Yeah. He, oh. won, he won Best Director. There we go. Yeah. Uh, he did end up being in a Jack Ryan film, Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, starring Chris Pine uh, as the character Thomas Harper. 
Scott Glenn and Alec Baldwin took an overnight trip aboard the USS Salt Lake City, commanded by Commander Thomas B. Fargo. Uh, Glenn based his portrayal of Bart Mancuso on Fargo. You know what's pretty cool about that, actually, is when they were on that trip, uh, Fargo told all the crewmen, you treat Scott Glenn as captain, so if you report it to me, you also report it to him. Yeah. And then... Unless there was anything really top secret, he's like, then I'll probably have ask you to, you know, leave for a second, but then you can come back. Yeah. Same thing happened with Sean Connery. He did an overnight on a different submarine and he was also treated as commander and got to be the commander on the bridge during certain, certain times of their, like when they were out in sea. It's gotta be a cool experience. Pretty cool. I'd, I'd do it. Yeah. I'd do it. Who wouldn't? Um, here's a long list of people who were considered for Jack Ryan. And this is, some of these are hilarious, but Mel Gibson, a thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up. Michael sure. Keaton. Yes. Thumbs up. Yes. Love Kurt Michael Russell. Keaton. Yes. Yeah. Seems a little old, but I guess maybe not at this point. Dude, this is like right after Big Trouble in Little China. That's true. Uh, Bruce Willis. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Sylvester yeah. Stallone. No. no. <laughs> John Travolta. No. No. Val Kilmer. Yes. Here, here yes. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> not uh, now. <laughs> Bill, Bill Paxton. No. 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 The Sways, Patrick Swayze. No. Yes. Stephen Lang. Who is that? We've watched him in a different film. Anyways, he was he was also uh, Stonewall Jackson in Gods and Generals. That's how I know him. I'm going to say no. <laughs> yeah, Probably just not. go with a no. <laughs> Jeff Bridges. No. Yes. No. Ron Perlman. <laughs> As <laughs> Hell, Jack Ryan. Hellboy himself. No. <laughs> uh, Richard Gere. No. 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 Michael Nuri. I don't even know who that is. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what about Christopher Lambert, a.k.a. the Highlander? Mm. No. No. All right, so I wanted to do something different. Like you obviously went through a whole bunch of people, thumbs up, thumbs down. I did want to do one quick thing that I want to do a little different than the normal, like, oh, would this be person good? Or who would this be good or whatever? I wanted to do, um, like, football positions. Who in the cast would play what position? So who's the quarterback of this film? Who Alec do you want Baldwin. as quarterback? You think you got, got Alec Baldwin as the quarterback? Yeah. Sean Connery old, you thinking? Where's where Sean Connery playing then? The head coach. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's, that's good, good I was outside the box. That's good. What about Sam Neill? Where's he? Uh, Tight end. He's, he's kind of small. I was thinking end, maybe like say? a tailback. Or a slot, slot receiver, maybe? Something like that. Oh, so yeah. we're going off of physical attributes? Okay. Uh, or whatever, like, whatever yeah, you want. I was yeah. doing it kind of like, where does he fit? James Earl where, Jones where does his is a feel? Where do you think tackle. he's doing? Uh, water boy then, because he's too oh, small nice. to be on a uh, on a field. Same James Earl Jones, Scott Glenn, uh, he's too fat to be on the field. So no, dude, he's O line lineman, yeah, lineman, yeah, for sure. Coach, yeah. lineman, coach. Yeah. He's too old. Kicker, too old. You say kicker. James Earl Jones <laughs> is the kicker. I said that. What about Courtney B. Vance? Wide receiver. He can play, he can play receiver. any spot, technically. Because you know he's going to be fast. <laughs> yep. Um, who else was in that movie? <laughs> Dude, come on. Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Tim, Tim, Curry. Curry. Tim Curry's quarterback. He's kicker, right? No. He's he's quarterback. I feel like Tim Curry's sure. kicking that Linebacker. Ball. And what about uh, Ed Harris? Where's he going? Ooh, definitely a linebacker. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say He's middle crushing, linebacker, yeah. dude, up crush, the middle every single play. Yeah, crush Alec Baldwin every fucking play. Yeah, yeah. all right. Although James Earl Jones would be defending him, man. You never know how that's gonna go. Yeah, that is tough. 
because I don't want to denigrate the great James Earl Jones. Yeah. Even even Ed Harris might have. Some where, did, where did we put Scott Glenn? Oh, we didn't even put him Slot on receiver, there. probably. Yeah, I'd say maybe he's, like he's got a pretty you know thin build. He'd have to be a receiver, probably. So actually, one of the interesting things with this movie is when James Earl Jones finally came on board. That's when they started getting more of the the uh, large actors. People started paying attention to this movie because mm. they're like, "That guy is really famous and great. I want to be involved in this movie." And so I do have one more. I, I kind of skipped over it, but now I'm looking at it and it actually is very interesting. The USS Louisville was used also as a stand-in for Dallas along with that other submarine. Mm-hmm. And it was actually the first boat to perform a war patrol uh, since World War II during Operation Desert Storm. She was also the first submarine to launch a Tomahawk missile in combat. Really? Yeah. During that operation as well. That'd be nuts. All right. So Phantom Zone, we can do pretty quick. Engage the Phantom. Phantom's engaged, sir. When there's a whole bunch of times, but um, Sean Connery is obviously in one of the greatest films ever made. Say it, Kyle. The League of Extraordinary Gen- Gentlemen. Oh, you didn't there say you go. Me. Anyways. Entrapment. Uh, Right. And so uh, Mr. Jekyll in that film is played by Jason Fleming, um, and he's in Below, which we've also seen, um, starring Johnny Depp. And in that is uh, Matthew Davis, who's in Pearl Harbor, and then in that's our boy, Billy Fickner. Wow. Yeah. Easy Right to Phantom. No big deal. All righty. Yeah. Some time for some subs worldwide. It's it's subs. 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 World. World. Wide. 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 So we're closing out Cold War Movie Month, and I don't know if I've already done this one or not, but if we have, I couldn't find it in my notes. We're going to cover the Russian Typhoon. Ooh. This is the largest submarine ever built. It's the one that they're using in the Red October, as we saw. It's pretty big, pretty spacious. Wait, it's bigger than that French one? Yeah, it's huge. These things are massive. Oh, they just say it was like as big as an aircraft kit. That other one was the most expensive one built. Yeah. French. Yeah, goodness. Just spending money like they're earning it. Uh, so this is also an extremely expensive submarine, and some people say that it could be responsible for bankrupting the Soviet Union. I feel like that's been re-thought about recently. Yeah. They've talked maybe. about it. Eh, the military ramp-up wasn't really all that huge. In oh, really? To it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure why I'm saying hmm. that. Because it is an old history book, so exactly that, where like building those types of things was what put them into debt and seemingly was contributing to the fall of the Soviet Union. Interesting. Um, so for some of the specs on this length, it's 574 feet long, hmm. which there are subs comparable length, but this thing is really wide. Hmm. Uh, for speed at the surface, it can cruise along at 22 knots. Wow. Submerged, 27 knots. Can go down to a test depth of 1,300 feet. Has two nuclear reactors that each generate 49,600 horsepower. Holds 160 people. Wow. Yeah, that's quite a few. Also holds 20 R39 Sturgeon SLBMs. But now there's only one of these left. And it's just a test platform, and it holds a single R-56 Bulava missile. Mm. The Endurance... So, so can I ask, yeah. what happened to the other ones? All sunk? They no. Sunk well, all right. So there's two that... 
are like on their way maybe to be scrapped, but I don't think anything's been decided or there's information on what's happened to them at this time. Do you think they'll let them be become museums? I would really hope so. That'd be great. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Uh, so for endurance, they can go for 120 days. So like I said, these are the biggest subs ever built. They have some fancy amenities, including a gym, nice, a sauna, nice, and a swimming pool. Nice. We definitely need to get a Harris on one of those. Yeah. Um, sauna going. <laughs> so the right? reason that uh, it's so large is because it has multiple pressure hulls, and they are designed so that if one portion of the sub is damaged, you can potentially save another portion of the sub. It increases your chances of survival. They're also very large because they had to hold those SLBMs I mentioned, which are effing heavy. So the R-39s are twice as heavy as United States Trident missiles. Hmm. Actually, more than twice as heavy. They weigh 185,000 pounds apiece. They are 53 feet long, 7.9 feet in diameter, have a range of 5,200 miles. They're crazy. How, I mean, much, how many people do you think you need to lift one of, lift one of those? I mean, you, <laughs> you need a good crane, tell you that. Yeah, probably a pretty good crane. And then if that crane falls over, you need an even bigger crane to pick up that crane. It exactly. also has a missile on it. Yeah. Yeah. And then if that one goes over, you just got a pile of cranes laying around. You got a mega crane coming in to pick all that up. You be, got to. Be great. Um, so because they were so large and designed to hold so much weight, there was actually talk about turning the existing typhoons after the collapse of the Soviet Union into shipping boats so they could send uh, supplies, oil, and whatever underneath the polar ice. But that didn't happen. So there was also talk about modernizing them because these Mm. things were so great. But ultimately it was decided that, wow, that's really expensive and we can actually just build the Borai class for cheaper. So the very first one, which is the one that is still in service today as a test sub is the Dmitry Donskoy. It's probably not right. Wow. It was laid down in 1976, commissioned in 1981. So all the other ones have been scrapped or they're like not really knowing what's going on with them. (laughs) They're hiding somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's even a documentary on the scrapping of TK-13 on National Geographic's Break It Down, which is pretty interesting. The scrapping process took two years that's it's not just where you know you see him put a car on a crusher and crush it (laughs) (laughs) yeah that'd be funny though why why did we film that documentary Uh, and then there's also another documentary available about typhoons called mission invisible it's like an hour 20 minutes and i'll post a link to that uh it's got a youtube video and also some of the stuff they're talking about there and it's really interesting when they're loading it up with the supplies, they were taking five tons of bread, 330 pounds of chocolate, dozens of sides of beef, 720 bottles of wine, and 242 pounds of caviar. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like a good time on the typhoons. That does. How much do wine? Wanna, oh, 720 bottles. God. <laughs> That's almost as much as you're going to have at your wedding that I'm invited to. We're going for uh, 800. Ah, oh, wow! Class that typhoon. It's classy, classy joint. 
um, I do want to jump in real quick and just do it all rights reserved to, um, you know, just that mega crane film that we just detailed. So just, oh, yeah. I don't want anyone to steal it. Mega crane. I love that. Yeah. Also, if the rock is listening, mega crane. Ooh, he'd be a good crane operator in a movie. Yeah. And then he the has rock. to like, he has to like run up the crane and it's actually turns out cause it's such a huge crane. He's actually having to run several miles up the crane. Is the oh, twist yeah. that the crane's actually just his arm the whole time? No. <laughs> oh. It's it's not. People's elbow. <laughs> All right. Anyways. <laughs> Alex, what type of sub news you got for us, man? You guys think I was actually looking up news? <laughs> Okay. Quiet week? It, there's nothing ever exciting in the submarine world. <sighs> Anyways. Um, <laughs> I thought that was it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on the bra. I did a quick couple little looks around, and uh, I guess Brazil uh, just laid down <clears throat> their first nuclear submarine. So they're part of the club now, too. So welcome along, Brazil. Uh, according to the article I read, they've had other submarines, but not nuclear, but, uh, they said that this should help protect, uh, their borders and sovereignty, which I didn't know they were having issues with that. Cause so many people are trying to invade Brazil, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> Most people are trying to try to get out of there. So maybe the submarines are to keep people in. I don't oh. know. Uh, did we ever mention the fact that that Argentinian sub was found? Several times. Oh. Yes. Okay. Because I guess I did want to make sure that people knew that we canceled the the um, interview we had with the defense minister. So he turned yeah. back. He made it. To, he made it up here. But then we. I told him get mm-hmm. out of here. Yeah. It's already found. And no, we will not validate your parking. No. <laughs> um, I'm also seeing some other. I'm seeing Australia names new attack submarine the attack. Uh, yeah, I just saw that. That was going to yeah. be my next article. So thanks for taking that one. Sorry, out. Sorry, I thought you were. Ooh. Nope. Finish it up. Sorry. Finish it up. Stepping on people's grass. I didn't know. I'm just saying. I'm I'm looking at the news as well. You know, I'll look up some news. Yeah, Why not? Let's it. all look up news. <laughs> See? Now, now you guys can all do this. There you Outrageous go. behavior. Spain shadows UK Royal Navy nuclear sub near Gibraltar. All right. There it is. Sputnik International. <laughs> That's the news site? I guess. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Sputniknews.com. All right, Alex, you got any other news? Um, let's see here. Uh, the U.S. Navy allowed the Philippine Navy to come and tour a U.S. submarine. So I would suspect that that means Philippines are lagging a little bit behind uh, even further. But this makes sense because I think Brazil came and toured one of the U.S. submarines about 20 years ago. So... I would suspect in another 20 years, Philippine will have their first nuclear submarine. In 20 years, you, th- you think? <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. Well, once again, you know, Philippines, you know, island nation, they got to protect their, their sovereignty and lands as well. And 2038. Then, here we come. Uh, and then last but not least, Pete Davidson has deleted all of his uh, <laughs> social media accounts. That's true. <laughs> Noted submarine captain, Pete Davidson. Great. Um, 
Yeah, and so there's also some there's like some movie stuff. Godzilla King of the Monsters had like something released God. where it showed Godzilla that movie looks next, awesome with a uh, with a submarine. So hopefully we'll have a submarine in that film. Um and then uh obviously Aquaman is coming out. I think it's this week, right? Or is it yeah, it's next this this week. Hmm. Uh it's coming out and it has a bunch of submarines in it. It's like submarine all over the place. His main bad guy like is on a submarine. Good. And then uh, two weeks ago, Das Boot, the new um, miniseries, was released. Ooh. Yeah, but it's it's TV. It's yeah. So it's a mini. So my true mini sub episode could be, but I think it's like an ep- eight episode or six episode TV series. Right? Sweet. So even longer in the end, probably. Good. All right. Well, yeah. good stuff, Alex. Thanks for keeping us up to date. Brom, what do you got, man? Tube three, ready to fire, sir. Commence the countdown. Give it to me. All right. Well, for this week's countdown, with us being in Cold War movie month, I uh, got a little uh, call back to when we were in Japanese movie month and we had our top five Japanese fun facts. How about top five Soviet Union fun facts? Nice. Digging this. And these are real fun, guys. We're going to start number five. Uh, In Soviet Russia, all the way back in 33, they dumped 6,200 people on an island in Siberia and left them with only flour for food, a small amount of tools, and no shelter. A month later, about 4,000 of them were dead. (laughs) <laughs> fun fun fact wow you also you, you need to you need to start those off with the correct accent what's that well you said in soviet russia i feel like it'd be in soviet russia in right? soviet russia yeah exactly perfect fun facts so fact you that, real quick ben so did what happened to the other 2000 uh 20 the other 20 2200 i don't know i don't even know why these people were dropped on an island in siberia i don't know if they were criminals or what but uh that's just what my sources tell me wow i'm into it it's soviet russia so i could see them just doing it as an experiment because yeah uh next one here we got number four uh as you as you may or may not know Tetris was created in uh, the Soviet Union by Alexei Pajitnov in 1984. Mm. Uh, But the rights uh, were owned by his employer, the Soviet Union. So he did not get any royalties on his game until 1996. Well, I was going to say, that game didn't really take off, did it? Uh, Not really. really heard of it. (laughs) A little unheralded game if you're ever interested in a puzzler check it out but uh number three Tetris or dr mario which one's which one are you going for uh my brother would say dr mario i always thought dr mario was pretty good but i heard a guy giving a review on it uh recently and he said it was a shit game i'm like oh i thought people just unanimously love dr mario dang yeah i've actually never played it really yeah i probably go dr mario kyle you're stupid I know, so I guess it's Tetris for me. It's un-American. Dude, Alex and I played a lot of Tetris sophomore year of college. A lot of Tetris. Oh, yeah. Hmm. It was good times. It was. Hey, back then it was ranked the number two greatest game of all time. I don't know where it's at now, but... Um, Probably probably was number one. was number one, yeah. Donkey Kong? Mario? I don't know. I don't know. 
I could try to figure it out. Mortal Mortal Kombat if you watch uh, Billy Madison. <laughs> uh, Here's a nice piece. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number three. Uh, a Soviet executioner personally killed 7,000 Polish officers over a 28-day period during World God. War II. God. He worked 10 hours a night and averaged one person every three minutes. And pers- wow. he personally accounted for almost one third of the K-10 mass- massacre. What's it? Who? What? That's just work. That's solid work ethic right there. Yeah, the Soviets ended up denying this uh, this Holocaust and blamed it on the, the Nazis. <laughs> Wait. One man. When you, when you said over a 28-day period. Yeah, that's crazy. He killed one person every three minutes. Now this was you said this is they 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 blamed it on the Nazis though. So this was after they formed in 1942, right? That is correct. Okay. Uh, number two, this one. Okay, we're we're actually getting into fun territory now. Okay, we we got some <laughs> of the the tongue in cheek fun facts out of the way. Uh, number two, the Soviets made J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit into a movie in 1985 with the full name The Fairy Tale Journey of Mr. Bilbo Baggins, The Hobbit. The full movie <laughs> is available on YouTube. Nice. Really? <laughs> is it live action or animated? I don't know. I, oh. I do intend well, to check, check it out, though, because it sounds hilarious. What was it called again? The Fairy Tale what? The Fairy Tale Journey of Mr. Bilbo Baggins, The Hobbit. There it is. <laughs> there, there, there it is. is. There it is. Do you know? Do you ever hear the story of who was supposed to be, or who wanted to be, um, uh, the adapting the Fellowship of the Ring the first time through? Mm-mm. It's the Beatles. Oh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney would have been. Really? Yeah, would have been Frodo and Sam, and then the other Ringo and whatever Mary it would Pippen. be. Gollum, Mary and Pippin. Yeah, oh. it'll be the Gollum. <laughs> Everybody's Gollum. George Harrison's just Gollum for some reason. Yeah. Um, last one. Uh, let's make this a little participatory uh, fun fact. So pay attention here, guys. Uh, the Soviet Union uh, had an internationally televised singing competition, much like uh, American Idol or The Voice. But uh, viewers didn't really have phones in the Soviet Union. Very few uh, citizens had phones. What do you guys think they would do to vote for their favorite singer while they were watching the broadcast? Shoot, shoot, blow, shoot something up in the air. Turn on their lights. Uh, I'd say a telegraph. Alex, you want to venture any guess? I, I'm just going to say they had to mail something in. Okay. It's a good guess. Very good guess. Jamie had the best guess. Did you read this somewhere? No, no, no. I was just trying to think of what they might do <laughs> if, like, no one had it. People are sitting in their homes. Maybe yeah. you turn on lights and then you check how bright, like, the area got or something. Oh, okay. Well, you're you're in the ballpark. They would turn their lights on and off if they liked a, mm. if they liked a song. They would turn them on. If they didn't like the song, they would turn right. the lights off. Yeah. So then you and check the how bright the power spikes area is. were recorded right. by the state energy company, and the reports were mailed to the station to announce the winner. <laughs> it's perfect That's time crazy. to get your, get your marijuana farm going too. <laughs> yeah. And that Dang. is top five Soviet Union fun facts. Well, that, is, that one is that one is a very fun fact. That was spectacular. Thank you. 
Oh, I can't wait for that those sound effects not to be recorded on the thing. So it just like you have to add them in later. Great, it's like way extra editing for you. Yeah. <laughs> nope, not doing that. All right, everybody's favorite. <laughs> Zach facts time. <laughs> <laughs> so we got this week, we're in the ballpark for the hunt for red October. It's a movie we watched. Um, so we have four facts for you fact fiends out there. The number one fact of the week is the hunt for red October might be what Sean Connery is best known for. Hmm. Hmm. That's a fact. That is a fact. I could see it. Yeah, he he might be. Yeah. He, he could be. be. <sighs> now let, let's take a step back away from the movie here. Alec Baldwin is in this movie. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> Alec Baldwin has some brothers. Though you know, I, th- I believe there's four mm. Baldwin brothers. Yeah. So. Alec's brothers, Daniel and William, say that this is their favorite movie for their brother, Alec. Right. Steven gave no comment. Right. Well, cra- Steven's a crazy person. So, Yep. Is Steven the one that was in uh, Firefly? No. <laughs> Get out of here. That's not, a, it's not even a Baldwin brother. Isn't it? Steven's in the, he's in Biodome, right? Right. No, he's thinking Adam Baldwin. He's Adam Baldwin. So he's not one of the Adam actual Bal- Baldwins? No, he's not one of the brothers. Uh, Way to go, Ben. (laughs) I guess if you're just born with the name Baldwin, you just act. Seems like you have to. It's required by law, actually. California law. Not, obviously, not every state. What do you think Doug Baldwin's going to do when he's done catching passes? Well, uh, I mean, that's the thing. If he ends up in a California team, he has to act. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So we we mentioned the Nintendo Entertainment System earlier. (laughs) A little bit. A few times. (laughs) The Hunt for Red October for the Nintendo Entertainment System was released after the movie, but ironically, it was before the book. Hmm. Good. That seems interesting. Yeah. It's a fact. (laughs) What is that game even, what's that game even like? It looks awful. Do you know what a a cave game is? It's a (laughs) type of game. Oh, yeah. It's like that. Yeah. It's a pretty... It's a rough game. You, I think you can watch a speedrunner on YouTube play it in about 12 minutes. It's funny. I, I started to watch it. It's, uh, the, it starts the exact same way the movie starts with the, the uh, American government and the Soviet government uh, say these events never occurred. And then it goes into it and it's just like a really far-fetched video game, though. <laughs> and there's like robots and stuff shooting They're like missiles. Sh- yeah, shooting dolphin, <laughs> r- robotic dolphins or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so that is actually accurate on this one. Yeah, it definitely did not happen. <laughs> it, it was, it was, so it originally came out on the NES, but then I think they even re-released it on the Game Boy Color and another system of some kind. Did too. they really? Yeah. I'm going to find this game then. It's like yeah, the final... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying it came out on two or three different uh, systems. So it's oh, out there, this, people. This looks like kind of like a Echo the Dolphin or right. helicopter style game, you know, where you. Battle Toads a little bit. 
Battletoads. The final, the final boss is is Mecha Stalin, I think. <laughs> Mecha Stalin. All right, let me get this last fact out of here. Um, James Earl Jones wanted to wear his Darth Vader helmet, but the director said it wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> well, the director's wrong. I don't think James Earl Jones had a Darth Vader helmet. He, they, they, uh, George, George had one custom made for him. Oh, okay. That's not his body in the. Okay. Exactly. That's why it was custom made. Speaking of bodies, how about Tim Curry's body in this? God, he's so hot. How about Tim Curry's body today? Not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Great. On that note, everybody be sure to stick around for the interview with Ian from Cold War Conversations. It is coming right up. It is excellent. Anything you want to know about the Cold War, listen to that, and then go ahead and check out his show. It's amazing. At Mac E Second Floor Studios, sometimes we don't have all the answers. In dire times like this, we've decided to call in the very best. Welcome to an interview with an expert. So tonight we have with us Ian from Cold War Conversations. How are you doing tonight? Really good, thank you. And uh, looking forward to uh, talking about one of my favorite movies. Oh yes, I can't wait. I can't wait to get into it. This is a big movie that we've been waiting for for a really long time. And before before we get into it, uh, you want to give us a little background on on what Cold War Conversations is about? Yeah, um, it's a relatively new podcast. I started it in uh, March this year, that's uh, 2018. And it's it's really about recording the personal stories and lesser-known aspects of the Cold War. So what I'm aiming to do is encourage people to learn more about this period of history. And over time, uh, I'm hoping I'm going to be able to build an oral archive of... Uh, those that live through and experience the Cold War firsthand. That's awesome. That's a very cool podcast. I'd encourage anybody who hasn't heard it to go check it out. Uh, one of your episodes that really stood out to me uh, is recent release is your episode 35 from November 10th. And you probably know which one I'm talking about. It's the one with the title, The Man Who Owns a Soviet Submarine. Now that that was a lot of fun doing that one. Um yeah, it's basically this guy who uh really almost by accident has acquired a Soviet submarine um and he has it moored in the middle of a river in the UK um and he's looking for somewhere to put it. Um he bought it sort of like um at an auction. Um, thinking he could do lots of tours on it and stuff like that. That hasn't necessarily come off. But what's great about the sub is that it's like a ghost ship. It's like the crew left, you know, a few hours ago. Um, And when I went on there, it was just me and him. And there was a problem with the lights as well, which made it even more (laughs) atmospheric. So we're stumbling around by torchlight. I mean, my head... Had quite a lot of bumps by the um, by the end of it, but it's a, it's a fascinating ship. It's a Foxtrot class Soviet submarine. I believe there's a similar one at San Diego for those visitors who'd be interested. The other side of the pond, 
but yeah, it was it was really good fun. I bet. I mean, because we can go on tours in the San Diego one, but I imagine your tour had to be top notch. You got to crawl all over that darn thing. Yeah, yeah, it it, it was, and uh, being in there on your own as well just just added added to it and the san diego one is sort of like looks like they've really tidied it up and cleaned it up whereas this one just had loads more um well it it felt like it had loads loads more atmosphere about it but they did they have filmed a couple of movies on there i mean i i saw your episode and i forget the number i'm sorry that's all Um, right but the one the one you did on um black sea is it called the one yeah, with Jude Law. With Jude Law, yep. That was filmed on there. And there's another one that's just come out, which is a comedy called Hotel... Oh, God, this is useless. This isn't going to sound very good. <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll send you the link to the name, but it's, it's basically a, a hotel based on a submarine after a nuclear war or some conflict. It's a comedy, as, as really? you might have guessed. Yeah. Um, the trailer's on YouTube, um, and I was watching it earlier, and the name of it's completely gone out of my head, but that's been filmed on it as well. That's incredible. I'm learning things. I didn't even know we had another new submarine movie coming out, especially one with the premise like that. That's great. Yeah, it's it looks very... Um, British um it's a it's a well you know what I mean it's a British comedy it's mm-hmm. sort of it's not Monty Python but it's um uh I'm just trying to see if I can find it actually hotel oh it's called the Fitzroy the Fitzroy the, yeah the movie is called the Fitzroy and it came out actually in 2017 um and it's set in a post-apocalyptic God, try saying that after you've had a beer. Uh, (laughs) Post-apocalyptic, I can't say it now, Uh, 1950s, and the Fitzroy Hotel is a derelict submarine beach just off Margate, which is a seaside town in the UK. Um, And uh, it's all about the constant battle to keep the decaying hotel airtight and afloat. Um, I'll send you the link to the trailer. It sounds great. Uh, yeah, that's going on the watch list for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So <laughs> we are uh, wrapping up Cold War movie month. And some people may not know because as you may have known noticed on our show, we are not historians. Um, but can you just explain to our listeners how did the Cold War start? Well, it started after the end of World War Two. The U.S., Britain, France, uh, and uh, Canada, the rest of the British Commonwealth Empire, um, were allies with the Soviet Union, which some people find quite surprising, but it, <laughs> it, it was true. And uh, it was quite a strong alliance, and it was the alliance that beat Nazi Germany and... Um, didn't necessarily beat Japan. The Russians only came into the Japanese side of, or the, in into the war to fight against the Japanese at the very end, um, when it was almost all over. But in the following years, the relationship between the between the Western Allies, I use the shorthand, the Western Allies and the Soviet Union, became more and more 
fractious. And one of the main things that sort of broke the relationship was around this thing called the Marshall Plan. And General Marshall was a, a U.S. general. He came up with the idea of rebuilding Europe, war-torn Europe, uh, with American finance. And obviously, the Soviets didn't want that in their sphere of influence, which was Eastern Europe. And so there was a, a, a conflict, not a, a not a conflict as in, in terms of a battle, but there was a conflict of ideas and ideology there. And probably uh, what what well, not probably, but that that resulted in uh, an incident known as the Berlin Blockade, which was in 1948. And Berlin was a well was is a city in Germany, but it was deep in soviet territory it was an island in soviet territory um governed by the victorious allies which were the french the americans the british and the soviets and the british american and french areas of berlin were known as west berlin and were complete as i said before completely surrounded by uh, soviet troops now the allies the western allies were allowed to supply berlin by train and by air and by road. But what happened in 1948 is the Soviets cut off the road and rail links to try and starve the city into submission and for it to be subsumed into that eastern zone. Um, and so the Allies started something called the Berlin Airlift, where they used transport planes to supply the city. And what was quite ironic is these were the same pilots who were flying these missions to supply Berlin, who had been bombing the city only a few years earlier. And that's sort of the, the, the start of the Cold War. That's crazy. I mean, there's so much going on there. It's incredible. And just the fight for that one city. And it's so weird that eventually, you know, the... Berlin Wall goes up, cuts the city in half. It's it's shocking. Yeah, yeah. And B Berlin is one of my favorite cities to visit. I don't know where, if you've ever been there. I have not had the opportunity, but I would love to go. It's a fascinating um, city. No submarines, sadly. Um, Looks but... like I'll have to skip it then. <laughs> um but some but some great museums and some fascinating history i mean i was lucky enough to go there when the berlin wall was still up and it really lived up to all those spy movies crossing into east berlin you know it i did feel like uh richard burton spy who came in from the cold you know um <laughs> but luckily my exit from east berlin wasn't as traumatic as his well that's uh, that's good yeah <laughs> So you just mentioned also, you know, the Allies and Russia. Are there other players in the Cold War that people may not realize were involved? Uh, yeah, yeah, there were. I mean, you know, the the main area of the conflict was, um, for the bulk of the Cold War was o was over Europe, um, but um. And the term, it's interesting explaining the term of the Cold War. The Cold War is, is around the fact that the conflict didn't turn hot, that there wasn't any outright war between the two adversaries. But um, the Korean War, which occurred in the 1950s, was a hot war. And 
whilst we always talk about, you know, to some degree, the Soviet Union versus NATO and, and this sort of side of things, obviously, China at that point was a communist country, still is, sort of. And China came in on the side of the North Koreans who had already invaded South Korea. And the United Nations sent troops to South Korea to defend that country. So it was a United Nations operation. Uh, The bulk of the troops were United States troops. The British were involved. And even lesser-known countries such as uh, Turkey had troops there as well. So that's one of the countries that people might not be um, aware of. But there were proxy wars fought as well during the Cold War where you know the two powers the the communists and you know the the allies were financing each side such as in the Congo in Africa and Angola as well but there's there's other there's other countries that people probably don't hear about or incidents that people don't know about such as the Prague Spring where even though Czechoslovakia was a communist-run country and was within the Soviet sphere of influence, Uh, they had a government there who wanted to lessen the uh, restrictions on the population there. So they allowed a free press and they allowed, you know, more freedoms than most of the communist countries had at the time. Uh, The Soviets didn't take a very good view of that, sent in tanks and suppressed that in 1968. And there was a similar situation in Hungary in 1956 as well and that, that these are the stories that I'm aiming to cover within the Cold War Conversations podcast is these lesser known stories and to find people who can uh, talk in English and explain you know or give me an eyewitness account of what actually went on. That is great because we all know about the space race everything like that but the things that we don't learn about that is that is Cool, because you never, we never hear about those things in Hungary or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, and also it, it's just the ordinary stuff that people had to put up with. I mean, I, I've done a number of interviews with people from East Germany, and just trying to understand the fact that you know they couldn't go to university unless they joined um, the Young Pioneers, which was like a communist youth movement um, within East Germany. And if their parents were, uh, let's say, university lecturers or or somebody like that, then that might lessen their chance of going to university because the communist government wanted to support the children of the workers and things like that. So there's almost like this, whilst there's a lot of similarities between what life was like in the West, there's a lot of differences. And those, I find, are, are really interesting how you know, just regular day-to-day life was affected by, you know, the ideology of uh, communism. That is that is very cool. And so I think that kind of even plays in this next question, because you're talking about the things you're learning on the show. Has there been anything that when you heard it so far in your episodes, you just kind of jaw dropped? I mean, it just blew you away. Something that was so odd you'd never heard of. Um, there's, there's nothing I've heard that has sort of like really surprised me, although I have a number of interesting episodes coming up, which, uh, 
will uh, where I'm I'm interviewing a, a former officer of the East German Army about his training and what life was like when his country basically imploded and disappeared almost overnight. So that that's interesting hearing those views. I think one of the um, most interesting conversations I had was with the son of Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev. Now, he was 20 when Khrushchev came to power, and Khrushchev was the Soviet leader at the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis. So talking to somebody who'd actually been there when some of the key decisions of the Cold War were made was fascinating because he was telling me about, you know, the fact that the Americans didn't realize that they'd given tactical control of nuclear weapons to local Soviet commanders in Cuba. So the the the, the command and control system wasn't you know, the the Soviet president saying launch the missiles. If the Americans had done a land, had made a land invasion of Cuba at the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis, a local Soviet officer had the power to launch nuclear weapons independently. <laughs> so that's pretty jaw-dropping. I guess that goes in the jaw-dropping category. <laughs> yeah, that's a little, that's a little uh, you know, dicey situation there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the the one other one that is a really interesting one is the Able Archer NATO military exercise, which you may be familiar with, but this was in the 1980s when Reagan was president. And the Soviets had got particularly paranoid at this point, and they genuinely believed that uh, the US and NATO were going to launch a nuclear first strike on the Soviet Union. So they had spies all over Western Europe trying to pick up any indication as to when this was going to happen or or if it was going to happen. And the Able Archer exercise happened to coincidentally be a practice for NATO launching nuclear weapons. So the Soviets are monitoring this exercise really closely and then suddenly NATO go on radio silence. All the comms drop out. So the Soviets are going shit this is it this is is it and they have jets at the end of runways ready to take off and and then suddenly the exercise ends the radio comes back on everything goes back to normal and the soviets realize it wasn't it but it was so close and it's one of these ones that people just aren't really aware about that that how close we came to nuclear war in 1983 I can see why. I can imagine being one of those Russian leaders <laughs> getting ready to uh, crap your pants when uh, the nukes launch. Yeah. Well, the the leader at that point was Andropov because uh, Brezhnev had died and Andropov had took over. He was former KGB, head of KGB, and he was really ill at the time as well, which didn't help things. So, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, Dodgy, as we say in the UK. Oh, I like that term. That's a good term. Uh, so there obviously all sorts of things came about because of the Cold War. What do you think are the best or the, or I guess, and the worst things that come have come about from it? Um. Well, the best, I think the best thing that that came about 
of it was that we didn't go to war. You know, that that the deterrence appeared to work. Um, you know, towards the end of the Cold War, there was the INF Treaty, which significantly reduced the number of nuclear weapons that were around. That was probably the the, the best thing that happened. I think probably the worst thing was just the massive waste of resources and people's lives in you know building and maintaining these these weapons and i mean you know probably the you know the the example of the the guy that i've uh, the east german army officer who i've i've you know interviewed is that you know he he signed up for 25 years expecting to serve in the army for 25 years and within uh two and a half years there was no country left to defend you know it was completely a, a waste so and you know it there was a lot of hope at the end of the cold war that we would be friendly with the russians and that the world would be a better place but you know we just seem to be going full circle and just repeating and this whole you know you've probably heard the term cold war 2.0 but um it, and I think that's why there's a, there is a lot of interest in the Cold War now, because I'm finding huge, well, you know, huge numbers, lots of people interested and people who never lived through that period. Um, a lot of young people very, very interested in it, which which is great because, um, you know, I, I lived through it. I remember the um, the threat of nuclear weapons and, um, you know, seeing. Uh, the confrontations in Eastern Europe. I can remember very clearly the rise of Solidarity, the Free Trade Union in Poland, and uh, you know I was in my mid twenties when the wall came down, um, and uh, that has always been a very impactful event. And it, it always makes me laugh when my kids are doing their history and they're asking me about it. And I say <laughs> I can remember that. I, I can tell you, I can tell you what it was like before the wall came down, and they yawn and you know. Go and play on their Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that's just dad talking again. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's fascinating to me because I was born a year-ish before the wall came down. So I, you know, I have no idea about any of it. We never learned about it in school. And so the way that I can learn is go back and watch documentaries, listen to shows like yours, and it's absolutely fascinating. It is very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, anybody who wants to learn more, you know, come over to uh, Cold War Conversations. We're on every uh, podcast app and uh, we're up to episode 38. So not to the heady heights of the number of episodes that you have with Submersion, <laughs> but but getting there. We're only a few ahead, so don't worry about that. <laughs> and... Uh, I mean, I think one of probably the best things that happened with the Cold War was all the great movies that we've had from it. Uh, oh, you, great segue. Very good. <laughs> so you've probably watched a lot of Cold War movies. Do you have one? It doesn't even have to have a sub in it at all. But what is your favorite Cold War movie? Apart from Hunt for Red October. <laughs> okay. Right, what's number from- two then? Okay, well, no, yeah, I mean, you're right. There are a lot of great Cold War movies. 
I think one of my favourites is Funeral in Berlin with Michael Caine. I don't know whether you've seen that. Um, I have not. Part of, oh, you should definitely see that. It's got a great theme tune. And uh, Michael Caine is this British se- secret agent, but he's very uh, dismissive of his superiors, doesn't get on with his bosses at all. And he's um, he's a he's a great character, and it's based on the book by uh, Len Dayton, who's a, a really famous UK spy author. Um, and it's all filmed in Berlin. Um, and there's a shot of him actually going through Checkpoint Charlie, but I think it's a double that uh, that that does that sequence, as they didn't want to lose the star, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, Michael Caine's kind of uh, legendary. It'd be pretty bad to lose him yeah yeah um and there's a great actually there's a great documentary on youtube about the making of it with michael kane doing the commentary that that's worth a look um the probably the classic one is spy who came in from the cold with richard burton that i mentioned earlier um which is black and white but doesn't lose anything for being black and white it 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 makes it uh better I think I don't, you know, I I quite like black and white movies, and I I remember watching. I listened to listened to your episode on the Bedford incident, mm-hmm. um, which um, I, I I felt you were a bit harsh in some of your reviews <laughs> there of that. I I quite like that film. It is it is a really good film, uh, but we're always looking for subs, but if I step back and look at it and try to not think about. We how we barely got a submarine in that movie. It is great. The tension is awesome. Yeah, you're right. I think you only see a periscope in it. Actually, I think that's the nearest you get. I think the budget wasn't huge. Possibly, <laughs> it's probably just a tube of PVC sticking up out of the water, and they're dragging it or something to get that shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, great movie, black and white. So um, you know, good movie. The other one I quite like, which possibly isn't cold war but it's right on the edge of the cold war is the third man with orson wells now i don't know whether you've seen that it's set in uh vienna in after the end of world war ii and vienna was in the same situation as as berlin in so much that it was split into four zones french british american and soviet and uh, it's set around Orson Welles, who is a black marketeer who has been killed. And his friend comes over from America, um, Holly Martin, who is a writer of uh, Western pulp fiction novels. He comes over to try and find out what's happened to Orson Welles. But it is a great movie. It's got some great imagery in it. And it's often used by film schools and film uh colleges to to show great use of imagery and editing and and stuff like that and again that one has a great has a great theme tune um lastly probably the other one i would mention and this definitely doesn't have any submarines it's a, <laughs> it's a film called wings of desire and it's a german film um and it's by a german director called vim wenders and he's quite a famous german director and it's the story, and forgive me, just bear with me here, but it's the story of a of 
angels who live in Berlin, and one of them falls in love with a mortal and therefore has to become a mortal himself. And Peter Falk is in it, Columbo. Um, oh, okay. Is, is in it, uh, playing himself. And it is it is a great movie because it just is a great – I think it's a great portrait of 1980s Berlin. It won't be everybody's cup of tea. There's a lot of subtitles in it. But it's I, – I really like it as a, as a movie. So there's there's quite a eclectic list I've given you there. No kidding. I wrote every single one of those down to add to my watch list. <laughs> I can't feel, wait to check them out. Feel free to tell me they're a load of rubbish later on. <laughs> but, uh... Well, yeah, I will, I will have to let you know. But they sound great. And when you said Wings of Desire, I thought that sounded a little seductive. And it sounds like <laughs> it's going to be. You'll like the female lead in it, then. Oh, yeah? <laughs> the trapeze artist. Oh, okay. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So we did mention, you said it before, The Hunt for the Red October. A fine piece of cinema, is it not? It is indeed. It is indeed. Probably not known for uh, the best Russian pronunciation ever given on screen. <laughs> um, but, but certainly a great, I think it's great action great suspense and it's got a brilliant cast i mean if you look at the cast it's it's phenomenal oh yeah alec baldwin in this really surprised me because most of the stuff i've seen in alec baldwin in is kind of a goofy goofy type guy but when i watch some of the 90s movies he's in there's one oh it's gonna bug me i think it's called the edge with him and anthony hopkins where they're in alaska getting chased by a bear but that's totally different. Uh, <laughs> that's a fun movie. But uh, yeah. he, he was surprisingly great in this. And even if you watch the behind the scenes, they talk about how good he was and how fast he can pick up his lines. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he is great in it. And I think it's easy to forget that this was filmed in the 1990-something movie. Um, but, you know, limited ability to do special effects. Um, you know, they had to build the submarines. Oh, yeah. Um, and the submarine interiors. And if you watch the making of the movie video on YouTube, I mean, the the contraption they've got to, like, rotate the submarine around and, uh, you know, give the impression that it's diving and then rising up, it's um, it's amazing. Oh, it is. And they even use one of the things that's so cool in there is they also talk about the miniature work they do. And they have that miniature sub to film the quote unquote underwater shots. And they're just moving it through this dark <laughs> alleyway with all sorts of fog being pumped in. But it looks so good. You would never know that's what they were doing when you're watching the movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, and and I think that helps with it because, you know, you, you've watched movies where you thought, God, that is so obviously a model. Oh, definitely. Whereas this, you know, really carries it off and it, it, it helps to build the tension. I think the other, you know, one of the other standout actors in this is Scott Glenn as the uh, the US submarine captain. I think he's brilliant in it. Everybody is phenomenal yeah. in this movie. 
Yeah, there's some good British names in there as well. I mean, there's obviously um, Sean Connery, who I'm sure we will talk about in a little bit more detail. <laughs> um, but um, there is um, Peter Firth, who uh, I think you you there's a series we have in the UK called Spooks. I think you call it MI5. Okay. Um, and Peter Firth is the leader of the spies in the series. It's a British TV series. Now, is he any relation to Colin Firth or no? No. Okay. I don't think so. Um, but he doesn't last very long in this movie anyway, because he's the actor that plays the commissar. <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't and stick around too that long. Scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That tea can get very dangerous. <laughs> Yes, um, it can. Um, and there's also Tim Curry in there, who's quite a famous uh, British actor as well. He plays the uh, medic on the ship. Oh, Tim Curry. He is something else. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a yeah, great laugh. It's like, <laughs> however he does it. <laughs> it also yeah. has um, Stellan Skarsgård, who is in a lot People may not recognize that name, but he's in Goodwill Hunting. Um, I saw him, and my wife was watching Mamma Mia, and he was oddly in that. He's one of the. Oh yeah, he is, <laughs> isn't he? You're right. God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's also in the Thor movies. He's in uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. He's in all sorts of stuff. Yeah. He's sort of like your, uh, if you need a Scandinavian actor of a certain age, he's your guy. Just grab him. Yeah. And Sam Neill, who is in, he's huge in Jurassic Park. He's in this also. Yeah. 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 He he has a uh, a major role. He's very keen on Montana, isn't he? That's where he wants to go. Yep. But it is funny you brought up the accents. Because in this, at least they tried. We've watched some movies where they don't even try. They, the uh, one that started the whole podcast, they were Russian, and it was Ed Harris and David Duchovny, and you could tell they probably just looked at each other and thought, we're never going to be able to do those accents. Let's not even attempt it. Right. I've uh, Sounds like I've been lucky to miss that one, then. <laughs> Um, I think what one thing I really do like about this movie, which I think is really clever, is the way they do the transition from the Russian into English. They're, they're sort of talking in Russian, and the guy's reading from a book in Russian, and then it just segues in almost effortlessly, effortlessly into English, and then the rest of the film is in English. I think it's brilliantly done. Oh, it is. Because if you're making a movie like this, which I would consider a mainstream submarine movie, people aren't going to want to sit there and read subtitles the whole time. But it is, like you said, a just great transition. Yeah. And, and Sean Connery, as you say, he does make a good, a good uh, fist of the, uh, of the Russian. And he is great in it. I mean, he, um, I think he was top of their list for the, for the role. And I don't know whether you heard the story that he got the um, the script and the, the front cover was missing, and uh, he he 
said to them, no, I don't want to do this. This is just, you know, crazy. You know, this would never happen nowadays and stuff like that. Right. And they said, well, no, it's set in the 1980s. And he hadn't realized that it was like a historical piece rather than a present day piece. <laughs> yeah, he didn't want to, uh, you know, reignite any uh, <laughs> any old flames there, stir no. some stuff up. It's a great movie. It is definitely worth watching. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, there's there's bits of humor in it as well. I mean, it's not all gung-ho action. There's some there's some great pieces. I love the the bit where Alec Baldwin, he's a he's a naval analyst and he says to Sean Connery at one point that he'd written a book on Admiral Halsey. Mm-hmm. Uh and Sean Connery says to him, "I know this book." And old Alec Baldwin's going, "Oh, do you?" And Sean Connery says, yeah, it's rubbish. <laughs> All your conclusions were wrong. <laughs> and this, oh, is in the mi- this is in the midst of them trying to evade torpedoes and God knows what being fired at them. Oh, yeah. Has to make Alec Baldwin feel pretty bad about his, his life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, one scene that is great is when they're lowering Alec Baldwin from the helicopter onto the sub, and they just cut him loose, and he falls into the water. Yeah, I mean, that that is really dramatic. Although, when I sort of saw a bit more of the behind-the-scenes stuff, I realized that it wasn't out in the open sea, which is what it looked like. <laughs> they were in some bay off the coast of California or somewhere, I think, because they'd built a full-size replica of a Typhoon-class submarine, which is uh, some doing. I don't know whether they've still got that somewhere on some back lot. Or, uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, because he, he did the stunt himself, didn't he? Because he looks, you know, he he made sure that he was, he because the shot is uh, the camera looking down the cable that he's attached to, yeah. and he actually looks up and releases himself. Yes, so, I think he even said that he wanted to do that himself, and it just you know so it looks real, and yeah. it is impressive because, like you said, it does look like it's in total open ocean, like nothing around. I can't believe that was shot in some bay. Well, I think yeah, because you know that that uh, <laughs> that plywood submarine certainly wasn't ocean going. <laughs> yeah, you uh, you don't want to take that thing out too far. No. And of course we can't we can't miss James Earl Jones. Oh with that, yes. That great voice. I mean, that is just such a voice. I'd love to have that voice of podcasting, I'll tell you. <laughs> His voice is incredible. It's second to none. Yeah. Yeah. And uh they yeah, there's so many great scenes in it. I mean, the scene where the Russian ambassador goes to see the Secretary of State and says uh we we've lost a submarine um and then he has to go back later and say they've lost another submarine and the secretary of state says something like look yuri to lose one is unfortunate but to lose two that just sounds really careless <laughs> something <laughs> it's some line like that i can't remember how he delivers it but oh that's a great line <laughs> It's a great movie. It's really great. Yeah, I mean, any anybody who's not watched it, even if you're not into sub movies or war movies, I think this 
works really well and and interesting with the, the with the interviews with the director because they're chopping and changing between different submarines he used a different form of lighting in each of the submarines so that the viewer would know instantly what submarine they were on and interestingly hunt for red october the red october the lighting is not red it's blue (laughs) <laughs> they use red they use red lighting i think on the us submarine the dallas that seems very backwards and green lighting on the other soviet submarine but um but it is it was interesting you know how because you know when you're chopping and changing between you know sites and things like that it can you know if if you switch off for a moment you can think hang on where am i what what submarine are we on now right it can be disorienting yeah and that is a very, very subtle but effective way to let people know. Yeah. So have you got a a scene that you like from it particularly? Sorry, I'm not supposed to be interviewing you. No, that's, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> little role reversal never hurt anybody. Yeah. Uh, one that I love is just the standoff at the end where the Americans finally get on the Red October. And they're just standing in the room with Sean Connery. And, man, you could just hear a pin drop in that room. Yeah. Scott Glenn is great in that scene as well. You know, and, uh, yeah, because Connery, doesn't he say to Sam Neill, he he says in Russian, you know, they look like a bunch of cowboys because Scott Glenn's got his holster there and he's got it unclipped as well. Oh, yeah. That's something I've seen in... Many of the Cold War films that I've seen is we have that standoff, you know, as is with the whole Cold War. They're just standing and you can just feel the whole, you can feel the tension and it's great because you're just waiting for one person to make a move. And I think that's where Cold War works well because it wasn't a, a war of fighting you can have those confrontational scenes where it's not obvious that you would just open fire on them because you're not at war with them. So, you you know, you can have those standoffs. I mean, talking of sub-movies and obviously moving away from Red October, but have you seen Ice Station Zebra? Great movie. Yeah, I mean, special effects leave somewhat to be desired, but when it was made, it was probably state-of-the-art. Yes. Did you recently watch it? Um, I haven't watched it for a while, but I remember really, you know, really liking it. And great, again, a phenomenal cast. You know, Rock Hudson, Ernest Borgnine, uh, Patrick McGowan. Oh, um, yes. Even Jim Brown from the Cleveland Browns. Really? <laughs> yes. Yep. He's the uh, yeah. the hardened, tough Marine who gets on board the sub. But that movie is great as well. At the very end, when the Russians parachute in. Yeah. And there is a shot fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't know. It's one of those ones where you don't know how it's going to end. And I think with Red October, you know, you, you get to a point where you think, right, I can see how this is going to happen. And, oh, no, it's going off in another direction. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it keeps... You know, it keeps the suspense, um, you know, right through to the end. Oh, definitely. Ice Station Zebra is 
it's not necessarily really highly rated, but there are people it has it has quite the following, and I understand why it is. It's a great movie. I think people need to watch it. Yeah, yeah. When, when's your episode on that one? That one is in the past. I can't remember. Oh, that might have. That might yeah, have been. I missed it. Oh, I'll have to go back back <laughs> through the back catalog. Yeah, that might have been about uh, thirty movies ago or something like that. <laughs> oh wow. Oh okay. I'll search that one out. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's good. It's a good movie. So, is there anything else? Not really. Um, if 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 people are interested in Hunt for the Red October, I mean, you know, get it's dead cheap on DVD now because it's been out for quite some time. Oh yeah, and uh, you know it's it's a it's a great. Well, it wasn't made in the Cold War, but it's a great Cold War, you know, set movie. So would highly recommend it. Awesome, that is great to hear, and. Ian, I know you've got a website and all that stuff, and you said anybody can find your podcast anywhere, but go ahead. What is your, uh, how do people get to your website? Where's the best place to follow Cold War Conversations, all that good stuff? Right. Well, we're all over the place, but uh, the website, the main website is coldwarconversations.com. We're also on Twitter at Cold War Pod. Uh, we're on Facebook as well, and I'm surprised I couldn't find Submersion on Facebook. Um, <laughs> I'll find you on there. We are on there. Okay. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I'll I'll have to search harder. But anyway, if you search Cold War Conversations on Facebook, uh, we have a, a discussion group on there, which is really well worth joining because we have quite a few of our guests come on there. Um you know, treat it like an after-show party, um, and they come on, and people will ask further questions and and stuff like that. So we have you know military veterans, you know civilians who served in the Cold War, and loads of people like myself who are just really interested in that period. Uh, so that's Facebook. Uh, we're also on Instagram, Cold War Conversations, on there as well. So. Uh, most major social media platforms and as i said before uh to listen to the podcast just go into whatever podcast app you have and search for cold war conversations that's the end of my advert (laughs) well great it was great having you on the show and i really appreciate it and i hope we uh get to talk more cold war movies soon yeah, no, absolutely. I really enjoyed it, and I appreciate uh, you having me on and uh, being able to wax lyrical about one of my favorite movies. So, uh, <laughs> fantastic. And, uh, yeah, everybody, listen to Submersion. Anything, any sub-movie, you name it, they're going to cover it. Um, I'm an, We're going to try. I'm an, well, I'm an avid listener. Um, you know, there's a big back catalogue I've got to work through here, but it sounds like I'm going straight for Ice Station Zebra when we hang up this call. Thanks for listening to Submersion. Find us on SoundCloud and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
Can't get enough of us? Don't forget to subscribe for new episodes every Thursday. And if you like what you heard, please go ahead and give us a rating.